Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hello everybody, good good evening if you are joining us live and welcome to the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great, with myself Rob McNichol and my pal showbiz Paul Benson, who is now moonlighting on yet another podcast, but this, tell me this is still the flagship, don't hurt my feelings. This will always be the flagship, Rob, that is just a dirty affair, <laughs> a dirty affair, you know, it, you know, an old flame. We were together back in our school days. It was yeah, all I remember is the good times. We talk about the good old times. Talk about the Spice Girls. Talk about that time we watched the Jim the Anvil Neidhart make his comeback, and it always feels good. But really, Rob, this is the steady Eddie. This is what we're here for. Good man, I like, I like to hear it. The good thing is about you doing a podcast about the nineties is it's generally what you talk about anyway. Um, so you Absolutely. might as well just put, put a put a recorder on and. Uh, and record it. Right, hello everybody, let's, let's start properly. Welcome to the Hooked On Podcast with me and Paul. Um, what we're doing tonight, for those of you listening on podcasts, uh, we are also broadcasting this tonight on our YouTube live channel and our Facebook live channels. Uh, and so we have people joining us, which is lovely to see. So hello to everyone that's joining us so far. We probably won't be as interactive with the, you guys alive uh, tonight as we normally are on Sundays with the quiz, purely because we need to keep it rolling and we're also recording for podcast. But we do, we do want to see your comments uh, as we go along through the night, particularly on topics. So when we're talking about a specific match or person, we'd love to hear your uh, uh, your references to those things. And what we'll do for those people in the room that can see the video, we'll pop some of your comments up onto the screen uh, so we can interact that way. Um, if you've not been with us for this particular podcast before, what we do is we come across a certain topic we talk about it for a little bit and we pick our top five in that category. Tonight, we're doing the greatest matches in SummerSlam history. Both Paul and I have been doing quite a lot of research over the last couple of days. <laughs> We've been so excited to see that the, it, there's actually so much, there's so much more of a, um, a breadth of uh, things that we can talk about than we, I think we initially thought. So it's going to be great fun. Um, we'll get onto that in due course. We'll also give you the results uh, from last week. Um, when we did a, a question about the greatest podcast of the 90s to celebrate Paul's, Paul and Ash's new podcast about the 90s, How Mania. But before all of that, a very, very quick reference to Sunday. We're only a few days away from a really, really big night on Sunday, Paul. I'm sure you'd like to quickly fill everyone in about it just, uh, just before we get going. Yeah, very quickly, because most of the people listening will have heard us talking about this, Paul, but we are just days away now from our big SummerSlam virtual party. We're running it in association with WrestleMerch Central, uh, Wrestling Traveller helping us out with the production as well. And most importantly, we are going to be raising money for the Cauliflower Alley Club. So we're running from 8 o'clock UK time on Sunday night. That's 3 o'clock Eastern for any Americans listening. Um, we are going to have all sorts of special guests, including the family of the British Bulldog, the promoter of SummerSlam 92, Martin Goldsmith. A few that I'm not going to tell you about until the night. And of course, Rob and I will be hosting the world-famous Hooked on Wrestling Pub Quiz um, we really can't wait. And then when SummerSlam comes on at midnight, um, if you're not sick of our voices, we're going to be sticking with you throughout the show as well. Let's do a little watch along with a few of the 
um, hooked on crew from around the country as well. So it's going to be great. It's going to be about seven or eight hours of content. We, we, the, the main aim is to have fun. The secondary aim is to raise as much as we can for that um, for that great cause. The Cauliflower Alley Club, for those that don't know, is the benevolent organisation for um, ex-wrestlers uh, who have fallen on hard times and their families. Um, it looks after them. It supports them either with living costs or in certain cases like you know Kamala recently with funeral costs for the family. Um, they're an amazing organisation that we really want to help out. Um, they've been really supportive of what we're doing. and We want to raise £1,000 before that opening bell of that first match at SummerSlam. So we reckon that's going to be about 12, 10 on uh, Sunday night, live from the Thunderdome, bitches. <laughs> and um, I can't say Thunderdome without saying bitches afterwards. We just have to get used to that. Um, and um, and we want you to race. So, if you know, I know a few of you have already donated, which is amazing. Um, if you haven't, you can go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash SummerSlam for more info about what we're doing and the link to donate now. If you can't donate, which many won't be able to, we're going through a sticky situation right now around the world, completely understood. If you can't do that, please instead help us spread the world word. Tell your friends, share it, tweet it, tell everyone what we're doing and tell them we're raising money. You know, you know, rather than giving a pound yourself, we'd rather you told 10 people and they all gave a pound. Um, so let's get on it. Let's raise some money for a brilliant cause. Eh? And we are getting an appearance, by the way, by the president of the Cauliflower Alley Club, former Killer B, B. Brian Blair, who's going to come on live on Sunday night and tell us a bit more about what they do. So that could be quite exciting. Yeah, great fun. Um, there's so much going on um, on Sunday night. Really looking forward to it. We're essentially with you from 8pm through to whenever the show finishes at roughly four, four in the morning. We're going to sort of stick it on all the way through the uh, through the night between me and Paul. Um, Chris Hatch will be with us as well. And a few other of the uh, the Hooked On team popping up all through the night uh, to give some opinions. But it's so so packed um, before the show actually starts. Uh, like, like Paul said, great lineup. The only things to remember is we're not actually showing the pay-per-view because you know we're not strict, we're not legally allowed to, of course. So you'll need to watch the pay-per-view by via your normal means, via the network and, and pay-per-view and however you do it. Uh, but we will be with you uh, all the way along uh, to keep you company and to get as near as we can uh, to the hooked-on experience of having our live events back. We are hoping against hope that we'll be able to do something this year if not back at the start of next year, to get back to normal as much as we can. But this is the nearest we can do for now, so we're really looking forward to it. Right, um, we might mention the uh, the event a few few times later on in the show, but we ought to get to our topics uh, as soon as possible. But first, we need to wrap up last week. Paul, you're the man with the results. Hopefully you've got them there. Last week, oh. we discussed what uh, what was the best, or the greatest, I should say, on brand. What was the greatest pay-per-view of the 1990s it took some doing in narrowing it down to five do that we did when we come up with the five folks we put them up at hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote for those of you watching live tonight you'll need to give us a little bit probably your vote will probably go live tomorrow morning wednesday morning uh, or thereabouts um for you to be able to vote but uh, for for now we can reveal the uh, the results from last week so paul what do we narrow it down to and uh, what won out in the best of the Sorry. 90s Sorry, mate. I'm just pulling these up. I have to, I have to, I have to be honest. I was in the middle of a bit of um, musical wrestling, musical based banter with Kevin Clifton on Twitter. Um, well, but there I'm, you go. I'm <laughs> trying to be a pro here and talk to these lovely people that have taken some time to join us live, and everyone around the world is downloading their podcast. And you're talking to a dancer from Strictly just because the pair of you from well, Bloody Grimsby. 
I used to go to school with him. He was the year above me at school. I um, I was just pitching him an idea I've had for uh, a wrestling-based musical, uh, you know, jukebox musical like, you know, Mamma Mia, a wrestling-based yeah. musical um, with using the music of Spandau Ballet with the finale gold over the big title match. It's the, it's the story of a wrestler's rise to the top uh, starring Kevin Clifton, Drew McIntyre and Becky Lynch, and I want to call it Spandex Ballet. And that's actually a great title. I will say that is a brilliant title. I mean, so, write, that idea, down, idea, write that down, Write that down. The idea is dubious, dubious to say the least, but the title, I'll give you the title. That's the, that's a good one. <laughs> Any chance of you actually doing anyway, what you're supposed to be doing tonight? So, yeah, Rob, we have five pay-per-views that we narrowed it down to. Um, I'll give you the five in, in reverse order. Um Number five is Super Bowl 1992, probably expected. Uh, we didn't really see, you know, we only just snuck that one onto the list. There's a bit of a token just to show we're doing more than WWE, really, if we're honest. Um, in fourth place, slightly surprising it came so low, but it, the competition was quite high. WrestleMania 10. Um, third place. Really? Was it was number four? It was four, but when you think about it, you know, the three that were ahead, they've all got valid reasons to be ahead. So number mm. three was Royal Rumble 92. Second place was SummerSlam 1991, and the winner by an overwhelming margin. I don't think anyone would be too surprised. Uh, Canadian Stampede, phenomenal yeah. show, fully fully deserved winner. Yeah, to be fair, I was um, that was that is that is what I would have uh, that is what I would have picked. Um, it was the it was the I'm surprised WrestleMania eight WrestleMania ten didn't didn't do a little bit better, but Canadian Stampede. I think it's one of those things that it does show that. It's, Quantity is not the thing, doesn't it? For all the four-hour pay-per-views, five-hour pay-per-views, two-day pay-per-views, big live events and whatever, actually, the thing that we've had voted as the best of the entire decade was only about two and a bit hours long. Um, you know, it's yeah. not a massively long show, but uh, it's an absolute cracker. Um, all killer, no filler. Great crowd, great main event, historically significant, hard to uh, argue with. So there you go. Um, so it's... Um, Canadian Stampede from 1997 wins our poll for the greatest pay-per-view of the 1990s. Actually, that's quite a good place to start, isn't it? Um, thinking about Canadian Stampede, and I would say the person that it's um, revolved around, of course, uh, Owen Hart and the Bulldog and um, Pillman and Anvil and everyone else that was in, the, in that uh, played their part. But it was very much a Bret Hart show, the Bret Hart build-up. Um, and I think he's going to feature very heavy in tonight's topic. So we're going to talk about the greatest matches in SummerSlam history. I actually think, Paul, going through and looking at the list that I've got in front of me, I think if we had to go match for match, I think there's been more great matches at SummerSlam than there has been at WrestleMania. I think you are absolutely correct there, mate. I think, you know, you look at it. What, what did I say to you earlier when we were texting back and forth? SummerSlam might lack slightly in great overall events, but it absolutely doesn't lack in great matches. There are literally dozens of them that you could put on this list. Yes, good, good, and indeed accurate use of the word literally, because uh, goodness knows no one else knows that, knows how to use that anymore. But yeah, it's it's an incredible list. Um, I've got a very very long one in front of me, but we're going to need to be a little bit more specific tonight. I think often we talk about things that have got a bit of a chance of getting through, but maybe not. We have so many good choices. The standard tonight is really, really high. So there's going to be plenty of matches um, where you might go, how have they not talked about so-and-so? And it's like, well, because the standard's so um, unbelievably high. So if there's a really decent, I don't really like doing the star system, but if there's a really decent three and three quarter, four star match out there that you remember fondly, 
It's probably not going to make the top 10 because there's some absolute classics that we're going to talk about. But we, I think let's, let's start with Bret Hart. You made an observation um, on social media this week um, as we were both having a look at some matches and talking about this. Um, so I, I thought you ought to lead with it. Um, what I'm getting at is your, your observation about how often the match of the night in early Summer Slams was a Bret Hart match. Mate, I looked at it, right? So you look at Bret Hart. Bret Hart was in WWE for the first nine Summer Slams, okay? Um, Summer Slams 89 through tonight. He said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, nine. Um, he was on the card on eight of those. He missed 1996. So of those eight, I would argue they had the match of the night on seven of them. Incredible, aren't they? Isn't that incredible? If you're talking about Mr. SummerSlam, there is nobody else. Are you, are you, I'm assuming that the one you're missing off is the um, the Yankum match, is it? Uh, yes, of course, yeah. Um, everything everything else. And there's, there's maybe a couple that you could, um, you'd certainly could make an argument on, but I would genuinely say the others would all be the winners. Okay, let's let's go through a few of them then, rather quickly with some of them. If we're not going to put them forward for a potential top five, um, but I'm so you're talking about a couple of tag team matches to begin with, um, the Hearts against the Brainbusters and then against Demolition '89 and '90. Um, as far as tag matches go in that sort of era, they feel different. Those sort of matches from the regulation, I won't say plodding WWF tag matches, but rather formulaic. These are great tag matches, aren't they? Incredible, mate. Yeah, you know, obviously the late 80s were, you know, were, were amazing for tag team wrestling up and down the card. But, you know, what you'd often get in that time period, you don't, you know, the construction of a wrestling card is something that people have talked about for, for years and years. And we've, as fans, we've all heard about it. And what, what do they say? Most people say that's the most important match after the main event. It's the opener. And, um, and back in the late 80s, early 90s, and probably before, if we looked into it, the big events were more often than not open with a tag team match. Uh, and more often than not, they were either the Heart Foundation or the Rockers. Um, got some absolute corkers that were often just there. There was so the division was so deep that they often didn't have to have feuds behind them just to be really, really good and exciting matches. So yeah, you're right. Like, you know, you look at those first two Summer Slams. Um, I'll let you lead on the specifics, but you look at the first two Summer Slams on my list, and I'd say match of the night was both were both tag team matches. Yeah, I just I'm picking out a couple of um, uh, comments that we had come through on the Facebook post that we put up a couple of days ago. Uh, Richard Halston was someone said, oh, I love the Hearts versus the Brainbuster from 89. The tag, tag titles needlessly were not put on the line, but he loved the match anyway. And uh, oh, Lee Tyers, my old mate from uh, Ministry of Slam. Hearts versus Brainbusters from SummerSlam 89 is phenomenal and criminally overlooked. Uh, and also on uh, Twitter, who was it? Malcolm said Heart Foundation versus Demolition. So people were putting those up as suggestions. I don't feel like either of them are good enough to get in this top five because, as I say, it's, a, it's an unbelievable list. But it certainly needs to be recognised that those are Bret Hart matches being the... Uh, I've got, of course, other people are playing their part, by the way. I'm absolutely not saying Bret's doing this on his own, but it just he happens to be the, uh, the common theme all the way through. Um, a couple of other ones, I'm obviously skipping around a little bit, but a couple of other ones that uh, I think are obviously worthy of the, the conversation, but not necessarily the top five list. Bret versus Taker from 97 it's a good well, match I've got, to me, I've got it as the best match of 97 but it's not it, look the competition is, is is high 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 it is not going to trouble that top five no agreed and I also think and this might be the one that surprises people the most but um, I'm not a massive massive fan of the Brett versus Owen cage match 
I actually feel a little bit similar to how you feel about the Brett versus Michaels Iron Man match. Good branding, by the way. Paul drinking his how mug. I've just got the bottle of Peroni like normal. Um, but I'm not sold on the Brett versus Owen. I think it gets a bit boring. I think it's a bit long. I think basically there's only so many times I can watch one man climb a cage, the other one pull them down, another man climb a cage, someone pull them down. I think it's really samey. I think it's a great example of a gimmick holding back some people because when they were allowed to just wrestle at WrestleMania 10, it's a masterpiece. Mm. And when you give them the cage, all they do is knock each other into the cage and climb the cage. I find it a bit dull. It probably is still the best match of SummerSlam 1994. You could argue oh. not great competition. Um, but I don't think it's up there as a great SummerSlam match. And I know other people have suggested it. Um, I'll let you rebut or, or agree while I just find a couple of mentions of it. I think it's, I think you've, um, it's interesting that you've mentioned those two together because I'd group them in the same sort of match in that the work was fine. The work, look, with, you know, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Owen Hart, you're never going to get shoddy work. You're going to get great, great wrestling, really. But in both instances, I'd say the story and the emotion and the drama of what was going on around the match was better than the actual match. Obviously, the story in 97 was the Taker, uh, you know, Taker was the champion, Sean having those stipulations about having to call it down the middle or he couldn't wrestle America again. And then in 94, you're in the midst of the Brothers feud with the Anvil and the Bulldog and all the Hart families around and about the ring. So, um, strip all that away. Obviously, you, you can't just strip all that because it's part and parcel of, but I think the angles overshadowed the match slightly on both. And you're right, I, I think a bit more highly of that cage match than you do. I think it's a really good match, but Again, we're having to. We're going to have to be really ruthless tonight, guys. Um, and you know, some of you will be sitting here aghast, and probably probably think that Bret Hart Owen Hart match was the you know the best Bret Hart match on SummerSlam. I think we're going to take it out of the equation right now. Yeah, I think it's probably his. I think it's probably his fourth best at SummerSlam. You know, I think um, that. Um, I think that you yep. go. I yep. go. I go Taker above it, and there's two more that we're going to talk about in a second. I would go above it. Just very quickly, Anthony Bolt is someone that said Owen versus Brett from 94, and John Keogh Jr. as well, Brett versus Owen in the cage. Um, there were a few mentions for it. But and again, I don't think it's a bad match. I think it's a good match. It's an enjoyable match. I just think they could have gone home maybe seven or eight minutes earlier, and I thought it just dragged a wee bit. Um, okay, uh, by the way, for those of you that are in the room and with us live, this is the time to have a comment about Bret Hart generally at SummerSlam. If you fire your comments in about that right now, it's a good time to do that. And we'll uh, stick some of the ones on the screen if, uh, if we feel is necessary. Um, Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from 1991, SummerSlam 1991. Um, we talked extensively about that pay-per-view last week. So we probably don't need to do too much on uh, this match and indeed that pay-per-view because we, we covered a lot of it very recently. But I think it's arguably the first great match in SummerSlam history. To me, Brett versus Mr. Perfect is kind of the, the macho man steamboat of SummerSlam, if you know what I mean. It's the one where the, the first real great match, not a good match, a great match. Uh, it's got everything you could possibly want. It's Brett's breakthrough. Um, it's someone passing a torch, as it were. Actually, it turned out that Kurt Hennig would wrestle on for a, you know quite a little while in various different ways, although he'd retire and come back and was never quite the same. But... It is a perfect example of someone making someone else passing a torch, as is the uh, the cliche. But both people on absolute great form. You can see these guys adored working with each other. 
Oh, without question. It's such a great analogy. Um, the Steamboat Savage thing such a great one because it is, it is SummerSlam Savage Steamboat in every single way. Um, and, I, and, and look, the, mat, the match is almost perfect, um, to, to coin a phrase. The work in the ring is stellar. The two characters are well-defined. The right guy wins. The length is good. You know, you get something historic. Uh, well, a couple of things, actually. With Bret Hart winning his first singles title, with um, the perfect plex being broken for the first time. Um, mate, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely up there. It's a sensational match. Made Bret Hart. It just hammered home just how good Mr. Perfect was. You know, because remember, he's a heel, right? Ultimately, Mr. Perfect's job is to make his opponents look good um, and get his opponents over and, and, and ultimately show his arse, as they say. And I don't think anyone's done it ever better than Mr. Perfect did on that night, if I'm honest. You know, everything. You know, the way he worked in the ring, the way he allowed his singlet to be torn off. Like, her heart was like, you know, it was like a really dominant... Um, gesture i suppose he didn't just beat him he tore the singlet from his back um and watched you know he left the ring like a scalded dog the way his hair was all muffed up and matted and um like the expression on his face right it was it was an absolute masterclass in being a working heel and making your opponent look like the greatest wrestler on the planet i'm a i'm a massive mr perfect fan as you are and as most people are who know their onions out there I could watch that man all day, and this is probably his finest hour. Yeah, I think so. I think it very well could be. Certainly in the uh, in the WWF, there's some, there's some argument to say he did some uh, some even better stuff in ring in the AWA. But certainly in, in this era, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, who was it that said it in the uh, Facebook post? Mick Connolly said, "For me, it's got to be Brett versus Mister Perfect from SummerSlam 1991, a technical masterpiece." Uh, and Stu Warner agreed with him as well. Um, are we? Are we going to do our normal thing here of taking some matches and putting them through onto us from our long list to a medium list before we get down to the five short list? So does this go through? Um, is this the first one that qualifies? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, well, while we, like, why, don't we, why don't we chew through Bret Hart for a bit? Because there's another one on there that I want to mention, um, you know, going through year by year. This is, Again, this isn't going to trouble the list or even close, but I have written it down. Uh, Bret Hart against Doink the Clown. I knew you were going to say that actually. Yeah, no, I hadn't. I hadn't completely forgotten it. But yeah, of course, in 1993, Bret wrestled Doink, uh, beat him, and then wrestled Jerry Lawler straight away afterwards. Beats him with the um, sharpshooter, but then the, the result gets turned over. Fun little angle. But yeah, it's kind of nice that, that Hart and Doink, or Hart and Matt Bourne anyway, got to work because that whole Doink character was an interesting one in that era. It's, it's, it's had lots of column inches in the past. It will continue to get it. But what is often overlooked is how good he was in the ring. People talk about the, the heel evil Doink being an interesting character when they weren't doing um, silly stuff like uh, having two or three of him at WrestleMania 9. But um, the actual matches he had in, himself, he was you know, very, very uh, astute in the ring. And it was good to see him work with someone like Brett. It's, a, it's, it, I guess, I guess it's by no means up there in the, in the top list, but it, you're right in terms of it. It's one that should be noted because it's probably a little bit forgotten about in, in amongst various other well if, if you want to go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk now you can read our list of SummerSlam hidden gems 10 matches that are uh, maybe not given the due they deserve and that is one of them. yes very good oh hang, hang, hang on a minute what's this what's this I've got down here I don't know Rob, if do I... we want to know oh look there remember it is. it's, it's going big... out live on video it's a big plug 
That's what it is. <laughs> it's a big flurry. I nearly knocked my beer over there. So I won't do that again. But um, yes, there we go. So well done, Paul. I knew you were going to. That was. Uh, it is a good read, actually. I did read it just before we um, uh, we came on, and uh, indeed, there's going to be a couple of matches that you've got on there as as quote unquote hidden gems that I might well have as uh, potentials for the top five. But we'll come to them in a, in, a, in a wee bit. Um, Likewise, let's close off Brett for the time being. I think. Um, and it's, it's very timely that we're talking about it. Oh, no, it's not a complete coincidence. Uh, SummerSlam 92, Brett versus Bulldog. Um, we're going to go into depth about it on Sunday. We're very, very lucky to have Harry and Georgia Smith who are going to be with us live. We're going to do a watch-along of the match. We're going to talk to Diana Hart-Smith, who was involved in it as well. Um, huge, huge night for us on Sunday to be able to talk about those sorts of things. But we can do a little bit now, of course. We ought to. We, we deserve to in terms of this. Oh, sorry, the match deserves us to in this context. Uh, once again, similar to the, the year before, you know, it's a match that just stands out above so many others on the, not just that show, but on the, the whole Summit Slam brand before that. But this one's a bit different because although Brett versus Perfect is probably the best match from 1991, it's not the focus. Hart versus Bulldog is the best match in SummerSlam 92, but it's also the main event. It's in Davy's hometown. It's another title switch. It's Brett helping to make Davy rather than the previous year when it was Kurt helping to make Brett. It ticks so many boxes, not just a great bell-to-bell wrestling match, but there's so much else to go with this. Oh, man, yeah, I would, I would fight you to get this match. You know, if you didn't want this match on the five, there will be blood. Um, <laughs> sensational match. It's it, like you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there in, in the differences between the, that match and the match the year before in that it was the main event, and that is it. It's a different style of match. You know, you have a great match on the mid card and you have a great match in the main event. And they are, they call for different types of matches. In 1991, Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect needed to be fairly short, fairly sharp, action packed, um, you know, get his point across, get in and get out. Whereas this match was dramatic and it had to be long and epic. And you almost had to be, you know, main events would. And you know it's not always the way, but I would I would say as a rule of thumb, main events, long epic ones should be like more like a war of attrition, whereas you know a match like Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart in the mid card is more like you come out all guns blazing. It's like a heavyweight boxing fight where you know it's not going to twelve rounds. You've got two big punches who are going to get in there and you're out. Whereas a main event needs to be a bit more Floyd Mayweather, you know, like it needs to be a bit more like feeling each other out, going the distance. May the best man win, the best woman, the best skills, the best conditioning, the best, the most patience, and that's what this match was. It was, um, it was incredible, and and it not only made David Boy Smith, but I would argue that it made solidified WWE WWF in the UK. You know, Ash and I talked about it earlier on the How Mania podcast. We focused on SummerSlam '92 this week, and. Without SummerSlam 92, what does fandom in the UK look like in 2020? 2020, I should say. Definitely should say. Um, what does it look like? I just will, Would the momentum of the early 90s been sustained through that mid-90s lull? I honestly don't think it would. I think without the coverage, without the fans that it created, and not really the fans, more solidified. Like, if you were around in about SummerSlam 92, or you said that, you, and you were already a fan, that kind of just hammered it home. It locked you in for life. And I think I think there's never been a more important match that has taken place on UK soil. It was just amazing. 
I mean, it was. Um, there's absolutely no doubting that whatsoever. In terms of your analogy of the, the war of attrition, you know, bat, two great battlers going through, that also has to apply to something you said previously about Kurt Hennig, which is the fact that this was a babyface match. You know, this is Brett versus Bulldog. You know, two babyfaces, both needing to, you know, show a little bit more um, pride and struggle and they can't sort of turn their backs and use any sort of cheap methods. Because what's quite interesting is if you look at most babyface matches... Uh, not all, because, you know, Hogan Warrior, you know, shares something with this one. But normally someone goes a little bit heel in the match, works a little bit more of a heel style or the crowd pick one or another. Like, for example, um, for example, like a, a John Cena versus um, CM Punk match, for example, yeah. from any any time, the crowd will be split. Cena will have his fans, Punk will have his fans. So you don't need to have one playing, quote, the heel. They just... You know, they'd naturally split the crowd. The crowd are split here a little bit because, um, you know, some want Davey to win and some want Brett to win. Obviously, Davey's the, the overall favourite. But it doesn't feel like people hate on Brett here. It feels that they just they just push for Davey and, and it, they like Brett as well. It, it, it feels like it's a win-win to the crowd. It would be very interesting to see what would have happened had Brett gone over and how the crowd reaction would have been, although that was never the intention. Um, but... Uh, there's not much that can be said about this other than just it's an it's an absolute beauty. And again, it's it's kind of not of its time. If you look at ref, wrestling in the WWF in particular, I'd say kind of uh, from 95 and earlier, you didn't tend to have matches like this. Um, now we're kind of spoiled by them. Now you have two or three of them every week with NXT and Dynamite and, and whatever's going on. But at the time, you know, once a year, twice a year, if you were lucky, did you get anything like this? Yeah, absolutely. It was just, it, for me, it was the, for a lot, I would uh, potentially the greatest match of all time. Let's put it that way. Um, so, is it getting on my list? It's, yeah, of course it is. If you, if you ask me for a best best match of all time list, it's getting on my list. I think it would be a shout for it, wouldn't it? I mean, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the pod. When, you, know, you know, folks, when we're finished doing this, when we do that one, when we do the greatest match of all time, there's nowhere to go after that. So, in, However many years down the road, or weeks, depending on how bored we get, um, we'll probably finish on that one. We've got a long way to go, I think, yet. Um, okay, so it goes through. So we agreed that Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart and British Bulldog versus Bret Hart go through at least to the next level of the conversation about the top five. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, that sort of gets us through to roughly 1996 or so. Um, if we're talking that sort of Bret era, we did touch on Undertaker from '97. But I want to quickly go to a match um, from 1996 that's been mentioned. Um, and it, it's one of those matches that really, really does seem to split the room um, whenever you're talking about it. I'm just trying to find there's definitely at least a couple of mentions of it. Um, I'm trying to find the best one. Here we go. Dan Humphreys. He said, one of my favourite SummerSlam matches and one that often gets overlooked and forgotten about is the first ever boiler room brawl in 1996. There had never, there had never been anything before seen like it in the WWE. The finish was quite shocking at the time uh, with the long-term manager of the undertaker, Paul Bearer turning on him. I'll have my say in a minute. What do you think about the boiler room brawl? It doesn't, does not even come into my thinking. Um, no, even if you forget that, even if you get, forget we're doing a top yeah. five, if someone just you know, rung you up, Paul, went, Paul, what do you think of the boiler room brawl? Okay. Uh, unique, um, you know, before its time in a way, because you know we were talking before the Attitude Era. Um, 
it, you know, it was it was something you just didn't see back in 1996. And it fit the feud that these guys were having at the time. It was very personal, very violent. Um, it kind of worked. Um, the ending was as shocked as I've ever been as a wrestling fan. I did not see that coming at all. 14-year-old Paul Benson did not see Paul Bearer wanging an urn into the Undertaker's face. <laughs> Um, at, the end that, at, the, <laughs> at the end of that match, it was oh, just a moment. Um, so yeah, I think for, for what it was, I thought it was it worked really well. Like you know, I enjoyed it immensely at the time, uh, and that's kind of it. Wonderful. I thought Paul Benson had been replaced by John Keats. Then just for a second, what a what a what a wonderful turn of phrase that was. Wanging an urn. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, I just. I wanted to bring it up because it does it does split the room, and that was obviously something that uh, uh, our friend there um, had uh, Dan had something to say about it. I hate it. I cannot stand oh. it. I think it's, I just oh. think it's it's really 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 boring. It's two men in a dark room bumping into stuff with no commentary and no lighting. I get the principle, and I do like the ending, and I agree with you. I found it shocking at the time. Again. We weren't at the time reading spoilers and, you know, long-term plans by, you know, different, you know, some people were, because there were, there were you know, dirt sheets available, but we weren't, you know, on a regular basis reading stuff. So these days we probably would have read that WWE are planning to have Paul Bearer turn on Undertaker two months before the show. As you say, I was 12, you were 14 at the time. You know, it's a good turn. So I like the angle. I don't mind the fact that they got to there. And I understand that they had to sort of, to do that sort of match, they had to take them out of the ring and bring them to the ring, but oh, I think it's interminable. It's one of those matches that if I'm ever watching SummerSlam 1996, when I get to that one, I just knock it forward about 10 or 15 minutes until they're just about to come out of that room. Because I just, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't get it at all. And anyway, I knew it was never going to come into our chat. I just wanted to, uh, to see where you stood on that particular match. Anything you want to bring up from this sort of era? Because I feel that unusually, we often find that when we talk about these how to be great lists, we go back in time. We go back to an era. Even when we do the quiz on a Sunday night, I have to try and work, say to myself, oh, I'm doing too many questions from that sort of 90s golden era. Today, I feel like a lot of my suggestions are going to come from later on. But for now, anything in that sort of mid 90s era that you would like to bring up? I've got one or two, but I just want it's uh, time that uh, I... you threw something in the house. Well... Well, if we're, if we're talking mid-90s, we're talking that between sort of 95 and 98, I guess. Yeah, I've kind got of. two. Two matches, okay. both ladder matches. Okay. So, I, I know um, you're going to say. So let's do them in chronological order. Okay. So 1995, um, Shawn Michaels against Shawn, uh, against Razor Ramon. Um, obviously, this was a rematch from their massively more famous WrestleMania match. This one... It's face versus face rather than uh, face versus heel, which added a different dynamic. Some would say this was a better match. And I think that you were included in that, aren't you, Rob? I think it's really difficult. I think it's really difficult because it's a, it's a, it is diff- well, fair play to the two of them. What they did was they made it different. You know, there are a lot of times where someone will have a match. This is this is one. This might be a topic for another day. You know, how many how many great matches have there been the, the, the second match is still a great match you know like you, you mm. watch you watch Flair versus Steamboat and then they go again and it's still great you see that how 
the, you fact, when you're talking greatest matches of all time, you'd be talking Bret Austin from WrestleMania 13. With, of course, they'd already had a match at Survivor Series the year before, and they managed to top it. You probably wouldn't say that the second Sean Undertaker match, in terms of their two head, uh, back-to-back manias on 25 and 26, the 26 one probably isn't as good as the 25th, but man alive, it comes close. To be able to do that, to be able to have a match and then have another one, you know, I mean, how many, when you, we, could, we could take this into a film, down a film route, because, you know, Paul knows a lot more about movies than I do, but how many times has the sequel been better than the first film? You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think there's all that many. Don't do it because we'll be here all night. But I'm not. I don't intend to. But there's not many. Your point is very valid. It happens rarely. It does happen rarely, and I'm saying this one. I don't necessarily say it's better than the first one. It is different. It's a different dynamic. Um, we'd already seen uh, the ladder format. It's harder for the pair of them because a they had to follow their first match, and b it was babyface v babyface. And see, there's not really much of a story building into it. Um, in terms of like any sort of hatred, they do a good job of it because there's a little bit of jealousy and rivalry. But I, I, as we talked about on this one last week, I'm a big fan of this particular pay per view. Um, in terms of, I think it's a little bit un, uh, underrated. Um, I think it's a smashing match, and I think this is this could have a real chance of. Um, I'd like to see it go to our next discussion stage. I absolutely would say, for example, it's not as good as Brett versus Bulldog, you know, which we've already put through. But I do think we've got to come up with five. And I think it might be in my chat for it. I, I, I don't want to go too early with this because of the nature of other things that we're going to get into. But there's a surprising amount of ladder matches and TLC matches um, at SummerSlams. And in terms of the one-on-ones, I think this could be the best one. Um, could be. Could be. Could be. It's an excellent, it's an excellent ladder match, and I tend to give a bit of um, extra zing to those earlier matches because, uh, and, and through no fault of the guys in the later matches, but it's so much easier to be original when you're not following much, you know. Um, and and originality is always always better, so they do have a bit of an advantage in creating exciting moments. But it's um, it's a stunning match. It is, and two consummate performers. And what I will say is that um, it's worth noting that uh, when you go into... Well, we just talked about Brett versus Owen, right? I feel that that got a little bit dull. The longer it went on, it overstayed its welcome. We just talked about the Boiler Room Brawl. Great ending, but I think the bit before it dragged a wee bit. You've always got to keep your crowd. Whatever the match is, you need to keep your crowd. I don't think there's a single point in this ladder match where you go, oh, a bit samey. And you don't even get a little bit, ah, it's all you know, spotty and, and all over the place and they're just trying to you know, do bumps for the sake of it. I just think it's a, it's a really, really, really fun match. And I think it deserves to take a step further. But if, if you're not, I think this is the kind of topic tonight where if we, don't, if we both don't agree, or we don't both agree, to use better syntax, then it doesn't go forward. So if you don't agree with me, I, I won't fight you on it. Um, I want to keep this on the list, but I'm not convinced it will be there come the end of this podcast. But yeah, um, I, kind of, I kind of agree with the you. The standard's that high. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Um, you're going to tell me about... Uh, Triple H and The Rock next, don't you? Funnily enough, mate, I am, yes. And what I love about this match is, um, well, two things, really. Uh, the ladder match until this point was really associated with, with a certain type of guy. You know, it was associated with your Shawn Michaels um, and guys who could flip around a little bit more, be a little bit more athletic. These guys aren't, aren't that. And, in fact, weren't known 
for for be for having great matches at this point. Rock had been in the WWF less than two years. Had he had a great match up to this point? Um, if he has, yeah. I can't think of it. Um, tri similar, ditto Triple H. He'd had some very good ones, uh, mainly with Mankind, I guess. But again, there's nothing that you know makes you makes you go wild. This was a real coming out party for the, both of those guys in terms of match excellence. But also, what I really liked is you don't get this so much now, but you really do more about them. It was a very definitive end to their stint in the mid card. Both of them, yeah. It was. You know, they 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 they'd done their time. They'd been mid carders. They'd worked their way through the mid card to the top of that mid card. And this was absolutely, you could tell on the night, and then it became even clearer the next, well, straight away for Rock, literally the next show, but it took a little bit longer with Triple H because he was injured. But the point was, this was a line drawn underneath their, their, their upper mid-card careers, and it was their crowning as official main eventers. So not only was it a really good match, but it's historically really important because, you know, these are two of the biggest WWF stars ever. You know, two of the top three most important in the boom period in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, obviously along with Austin. And this is the match that that really um, rubber stamped it for them. You know, if this match had flopped, would they, would they have moved up to the main event straight away? Possibly. Might have waited a little bit while. Maybe they wouldn't have got there straight away. They would have got there eventually. Of course they would. Um, but maybe it would have, they would have taken a different path. This match was ace. Um it is good. And, and it was so, so important. I like, yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't really considered about the, the, the importance of it, where it sits in history, and, and you're right. Um, I would say there's a, a match from a couple of years later, two years later, in fact, that has a similar sort of uh, essence to it. I don't think it's a good enough one to put onto this list. It's a good match, but it's not an all-time great match. Um, Jericho Benoit um, at SummerSlam 2000, Two, two out of three falls is a similar sort of thing that almost feels like the end of those pair, you know, because by, you know, a couple of years later, within the next year or two, Benoit would be having title matches. Jericho would do the undisputed champion thing. You know, they were sort of knocking on the door as well, weren't they? That sort of feels like a similar thing. Um, but it's a good yeah. point you make. Not, as, not, as, defi not as definitive. But no, not, as, not yeah. as definitive, but similar uh, in yeah. terms of that, that sort of level of, of, um, of attainment. Uh, but yeah, Triple H and The Rock's careers were parallel, um, you know, a, a, a long way out, weren't they? They seemed to go along. Um, quickly, on, quickly on Triple H, the year before, obviously, you, you briefly mentioned that Triple H Mankind was a thing. Um, they had a really, I think as cage matches go, they had a really good cage match um, the year before. Again, I'm, I'm not putting this up, I'm not putting it up as a as an option for all this, but I think if you were doing cage matches, I think I prefer Triple H Mankind a little bit more than I do Owen Brett. Mm, bold, bold. Not totally sure I agree, but I certainly wouldn't rattle your cage for it. Hey, very good. Very good indeed. <laughs> um, right, any more from that sort of era? In fact, should we stay on, should we stay on ladder matches? Should we stay on ladder matches and, and TLCs yeah. and, and similar sort of things? Because you do, will find if you just tr do the trajectory of SummerSlam all the way through, that there's plenty of them to be to be talking about. I've got a couple on my list here as discussion points, not necessarily ones I'm going to push for. Um, but uh, again, I'll, I'll put the ball in your court first of all. Any uh, any other ladder matches? And when I say ladder matches, I include TLCs in ladder matches because TLC matches are ladder matches. Yeah. So ooh, let me look at my list. There's two at least. Uh, three, three. I see actually. 
since you're looking at it, I'll, yeah, I'll you, go. you go for it. You go for it. I would say that um, one that I'd kind of forgotten about, I watched a lot of matches in the last couple of days building up to this, and one I'd pretty much forgotten about, but went back and watched um, because of this, was from 2001, which was RVD versus Jeff Hardy, um, which was yeah, a ladder mate. match for the, uh, the hardcore title. And it was, it, was, it was excellent. It was way better than I remembered. Um, great fun, great stuff. And do you know what I really liked about it? And it's a small point that I would bring up about this match, but it's a, a broader point that I like. I don't mind that they failed a couple of times. There's a couple of yes. moves in there, which these days people would go, oh, you effed up. Yeah, and it's like, well, okay, they probably didn't get what they were going for. But do you know what? In a football match, not every shot is on target. You know, and every, in, a, in a boxing match, which is more apropos, not every punch lands. And it's like, sometimes it doesn't matter. For example, there's a specific point where Jeff is dangling from the, from either from the ladder or maybe even from the, the belt itself. And RVD comes off the top rope with a spin kick and he misses. And I imagine he was supposed to knock him off with it. And he didn't, he missed. But it doesn't matter in the context because you go, these guys are taking chances and RVD flew at him and then Jeff actually takes a bump anyway. And you could argue that, well, he was put off by the uh, the person coming across. So I love that match. I was I was surprised with myself how much I enjoyed watching it back um, yesterday. I think it was when I saw it. I'm not absolutely convinced I'm pushing it for the top five, but I probably like it just as much as I like Triple H Rock. I have to say. Well, I would I probably say I prefer it in a in a vacuum than Triple H Rock because really, you know, other two guys. You know, yes, there are is the answer, but as a combination of there been two guys more suited to a ladder match, have a one-on-one match ever. Jeff Hardy's just sensational in this format. Rob Van Dam, we know, we all know what he can do and what his style is. And again, perfectly suited to both the athleticism and the brutality that, you know, the two sides of the coin in a ladder match. Um, I think these guys are the perfect mix for a match like that. And they really delivered. Like you say, I noticed how the, the, the screw-ups kind of added to the match. Uh, in a way, and then the other thing, because like neither of these guys have ever been known as you know crisp technicians, are they? Like no, you know no, the the not. mistakes, mistakes are part of the charm almost. Um, but the other thing I noticed that I liked about this match, ahead of maybe any other ladder match I can remember, there was none of this slow climbing stuff that grates me. <laughs> you know, it, it just didn't happen. Like you know, there was some sprints on the ladder at first. There was you know. It, and then it obviously slowed down a bit later, but there was none of these situations where they were forced to climb the ladder, agonizing rung by agonizing rung, and it would and it just rings so hollow. Very rarely do those spots work. Very rarely do you you know, can you climb in slow motion, it feels believable. And these guys didn't even bother trying, and I think it made that match unique in ladder in ladder match terms and all the better for it. So I thought this was an exceptional match as well. But um Again, I keep going back to it. I sound like a broken record. The list quality is so bloody high. It might not even make the top 10. They might the top five. Mm. I mean, let's, let's tentatively put it through, but uh, I, I feel that we're going to... Uh, I'm not crossing we'll, it off. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably end up knocking it off. Um, a couple of other ones dead quickly, because I think they're not ones that I would put... Through. Again, when you watch the, these matches almost back to back to back, like I've done over the last couple of days, you see them in context and go, well... No, I, I prefer that one to that one. It's a little bit like thinking someone is tall, but then seeing them, um, you know, standing next to someone else that's, that's smaller and going, oh, well, actually, they're not as tall as I thought. Um, I think that uh, when you consider 
the standard that we've set here with Triple H Rock and with HBK Razor and, and now this RVD Hardy one, I would say that, for example, CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy doesn't quite live up. Good match, but it's not up, in the, up to the standard. And then you've got the Rey Mysterio... Then you've got the Rey Mysterio Eddie Guerrero thing, you know, where you have the... Um, you, you just Dominic on a pole. Well, it's actually a good. It's a really good. It's a really good ladder match, but you can't take it seriously because it's such a stupid um, gimmick. It's it's not on my list, mate. To be honest, it's not on my list. I didn't. I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. That whole Mysterio Eddie series was one of the biggest disappointments in wrestling history. That two thousand five feud. It didn't produce great matches. I mean, I and, think and, it, a, and it should have done. I think this is a good ladder match, but it's. Um, it's tainted by the ending because Ray has to win because Vicky comes out and whatever. And it's just such a stupid thing. The commentators have to keep saying things like, oh, Dominic well, could be going home with someone else. And it's like, could you, I always try and imagine, just take a wrestling scenario out and put it in another sport. Just imagine having, you know, like you said before, you know, a boxing match. You, you, you mentioned a Mayweather match earlier. Imagine if Mayweather Pacquiao was, was for, you know, the other one had to leave their house or something. It's like, you just, it would just be, it would just be slaughtered, wouldn't it? It just, it seems, it yeah. seems absolutely ridiculous. But um, anyway, uh, we'll move on from that one. Um, are there any other one-on-one ladder matches that I've missed off? Because there's an obvious tag one that we we need to talk about. But uh, is there any other yeah, ones? That, uh... Not, not, not one-on-one. Not one-on-one. I think we've covered the one-on-ones. Okay, then let's do uh, SummerSlam 2000. Let's do the Hardy Boys versus Edge and Christian versus the Dudleys. It's TLC. It's the first TLC, as I recall. Um, it's not the first match of that type because they'd already done a triangle ladder match um, I yep. think at WrestleMania, but this is the first one branded TLC. Um, it's epic. It's never before seen. It's, it's, it's completely genre-defining, but you're not a fan. <laughs> Do you know what one of the biggest complaints about modern wrestling is? Modern WWE, specifically, rather <laughs> sorry, than modern wrestling. sorry. What I'm laughing at is not because of what you're about to say, but you did that like, do you know, um, when you used to watch Call My Bluff and someone had to do a bit of a, an explanation of what a word meant and they would, they would always go, imagine if you will, and they'd start doing a, like a long story about something. You went, do you know? <laughs> I take your okay. point, carry on. Anyway. I do, do apologise. One of the biggest complaints I hear about modern wrestling, and, and it's a fair complaint, is that, WWE has given up on the art of storytelling in favour of presenting big moments. Um, you know, rather than having long, built-up, satisfying storylines with three solid arcs and a conclusion, they just have a moment that's awesome just because it's awesome, and that's that. Um, yet in the same breath, they'll tell you how much they love the TLC matches. Which, uh, which is that problem in a microcosm. Microcosm? I can't pronounce that word. That's one word I cannot pronounce. No, there's like, anyway, no trust me. It, trust me. There's plenty you can't pronounce, but it's microcosm. <laughs> <laughs> microcosm. Anyway, the point is, whilst those matches are entertaining, and they are, they are matches. Adam has quite rightly pointed, just pointed out in the comments, those matches are spot fests, right? And those spots are incredible. But, you know, and I loved it at the time, but go back and watch it now. I just don't know if they hold up. I think the, the best of the three is the WrestleMania 17 one because there is a bit more of a story there. Um, 
but I just don't think they stand the test of time because they're all about the, what, four, five, oh my God, moments. And the rest is kind of just random brawling and convoluted positioning to get that, to get to those moments. So whilst I'm not diminishing those, the importance of those matches or the skills of the six men involved, doesn't, doesn't hold up for me, just doesn't hold up. I both agree and disagree with you. My agreement with you is that, as you know, I would absolutely much prefer a good old-fashioned piece of wrestling than I would a match full of gimmicks and full of spots and whatever. I also have a weak stomach, and so matches that have got a lot of blood or have got a lot of you know, plunder and weapons and whatever tend not to, to grab me. I admit I probably... I'll go early on this. I'm going to you know, not necessarily retain the suspense. I probably am not going to push hard enough to push this through to the next stage because you don't, um, you're not, not, not so keen on it. Um, and, uh, I'm not strong enough on it to, to push it. What I will say is I do think it holds up because I think it's different. I don't think it's like, I think money in the bank ladder matches are worse and are harder because you've got one-on-one, um, things and people just, take a powder for a long time for no real reason. Then they pop back up and it looks like they're sort of, I'm there lying there until then they're next needed. I do feel like there's more going on in this particular match. I think the triangle ladder match is better, but I think this is the best of the two TLCs with these three teams. If you get my drift, I think the ladder match is better. And mm-hmm. I think then this one, then the following mania, I actually really like okay. the, the, TL, the TLC that was on SmackDown. Um, but uh, I think that this is the match where, you know, they pushed it up to that next sort of level. They branded it slightly differently. And I do think it holds up. And I do think you can watch it and enjoy it. And especially know, if you know everyone's okay, um, I think that you can, I think you can view it slightly differently um, in terms of it not being just a complete illogical, non-linear spot fest. A spot fest, though, it very surely is. That's okay sometimes. And I think it's okay in this circumstance if we were doing a top 10 even a top 15 i'd be more than happy with this being on it i think it is massively culturally significant i think most importantly it's loved by people it's enjoyed by people it's fun to watch so all of those things would be for me i like it i would put it through to the next stage and have a discussion about it i don't think i would have it on my top five and the very fact that you're not pushing for it means i am i am content we have such a strong list i don't need to fight for this ahead of various other things that we have Okay, well, let's go with the complete antithesis of this match when it comes to tag team wrestling. Let's step back in time by 10 years. 10 years exactly. And let's go to real tag team wrestling. One of my favourite ever tag team matches, in fact. I'm talking SummerSlam 1990, tag team title match. The Heart Foundation against Demolition, two out of three falls. Okay, well, obviously that's where we we kicked off going through those sorts of things. Are you are you just comparing this tag wise? I'm um, absolutely you know, not. We, I'm when we were going through the Brett stuff, you didn't necessarily you know bring this up earlier on. So, are you just saying this well, is the best tag match? Or no, that's my overlook earlier. Actually, to be honest, I, sh- I should have done. We got I got so enamoured with the singles matches that I I just forgot this one. Um, but it reminded me when I was looking at my list and looking at how it's such a polar opposite. Mate, this was a tremendous match. Um, 
in every way. In actual fact, it kind of mirrored the, um, it was very similar to the uh, Hart, Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match a year later, but a tag team version thereof. Um, it was dramatic. It, uh, it had, you know, the strong babyface team. It had the dastardly heels. It, I just think it. I just think it was a. I think it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant tag team match, and I would probably call it. Well, it's the best tag team match on my list. It's the best tag team match in SummerSlam history. I'm saying. Yeah, that 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 would be another interesting chat. Um, I mean, I I think it's a good. I think it's a good match. I think it's a really decent match. I think it's fun. Um, I think it's a great moment at the end. I've I've never really got on board with two out of three falls matches. Really? And one of the reasons is, is I don't like the the structure of them because what almost always happens is that the heels win the first fall. And heels win the first fall to put the baby faces in jeopardy. So they then equalize to go one, one. And then we're not sure what happens after that. But almost always the heels go one nil up. And that to me means that if it was a normal match, the heels would win. Do you know what I mean? If it was just an ordinary match. And it bothers me that you end, because I think the heels, when the heels have something to whinge about and to be heels, to be villains about, I I don't always think they should have a point. I think they should be nasty and, um, you know, snide about it and not necessarily telling the full story. And actually, on this occasion, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Demolition go one the lap, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, and it's dead early because this match is only about 14 minutes long, 13, 14 minutes long. And there's three falls in it. It's a little bit like in Survivor Series matches when we're only going to give this match 15 minutes and we've got to do eight falls, nine falls. So there's lots of moves that are normal, normally just transition moves and they end up being pinfalls. I think you get the same sort of thing in two out of three falls matches unless they're big, long epics like the Three Tages of Hell or something. So I think it's a bit rushed. I think it would have been a better match if it was 1v1, uh, one, just one fall. Allow me a slight rebuttal there, sir, on, uh, on both of your points, in fact. Um, so firstly, the, 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 the two out of three falls thing and the heels always winning the first fall. I don't think you're right. I can't offer you any concrete evidence, but I just my feeling is that you're not right. I don't think it's 50-50, but I don't think it's clear-cut either. It's not like war games where the heels win the toss every single time in every war games match in history. That's convoluted. I think it's a bit more subtle than that. Maybe maybe it's 30-70, but I don't think it's every time. Um, the second point... I didn't, say it was, I didn't say it was every time, but it feels like most of the more important ones to me, that oft, often the heel wins first. And I, I don't think they I should. Don't, I, I don't think that's an issue. And secondly, as to your point about it, um, you know, the if it was a one-on-one match, the heels won, it falls coming too quickly. Liken it to a football match, my friend. Um, if your beloved Plymouth Argyle were playing Manchester United um, and Manchester United two, won 2-1, but Plymouth scored the opening goal, would you think that Plymouth deserved the win? No, that's, that's a completely different point because football is always played over 90 minutes. If for example, Apart from in goal and goal. Well, no, but then, but it's still played in 90 minutes to get to a golden goal. Your example there is a little bit like saying this year in the FA Cup, we're making it 150 minute matches. And if after 90 minutes, Argyle were one nil up against Manchester United, but after 150, we lost 2-1, I would be saying 
bloody hell, if this was a 90-minute match, we'd have won this, but they've made silly rules Fair and it's point. 150 minutes. The, po- the point of football is it's as many goals as possible after 90 minutes. It's not first goal wins, is it? So if, if football Fair was point. first goal wins, then that would be a good example, but it's not really. My other my other uh, argument against that is that the, the both, you know, obviously we're talking strictly KFAB, it goes without saying, but if you're a team or a single in a two out of three falls match, you might not exert that same effort in winning that first ball. If you're in jeopardy in that first ball, you might not give it your all to kick out knowing that you've got to keep your energy and you've got a second chance. It's not the end of the road. So, you know, I'll you, give you that. You, it's I'll not terminal. You need a good commentary team there um, to tell that story. Like, for example, am I right in saying that Triple H versus The Rock, Judgment Day, the Iron Man match, that Triple H uses weapon? Oh, in fact, no, no. I think it's, it might be, it's Angle against Brock. It's I think Brock and Angle. It's Brock and Angle yeah. where someone uses a chair, beats the crap out of them, takes the DQ to get a couple of pins, and it's like it's worth. I was going to say. I was going to say. Yeah, that's it. I think he even might. Have, I might. He might have even done it twice. I think he might have took a couple of DQs. I can't remember that, but yeah. absolutely right. That's exactly what he did. He sacrificed the first fall or two falls, knowing that it would be easy pickings after he had his wicked way with him. And I think the aforementioned Jericho-Benoit match that I uh, brought up before, um, Benoit goes one up through a tap-out and Jericho equalises with a tap-out. And because Jim Ross is a genius and he was on so much, such great form at SummerSlam 2000, absolutely brilliant on that night. Um, JR makes the point and says, well, Jericho's tapped there because he knows that if he stays in it for too long, then it'll cripple him and it'll be... You know, it'll be it'll be too long. So he's made a decision now to get out of it and try and fight back, which is good commentary. Because Benoit then goes back to the arm, back to the hold, and Jericho doesn't tap. So you, you need the commentators to be your um, extra voice. Um, a fair point, and I think that this is a good match. I'm not going to argue against it not being a good match. I'm, I had to play devil's advocate a little bit. I think this goes into that category, Paul, of it's really, really good, but there's going to be eight or ten ones better yeah. as far as I'm concerned yeah yeah okay um, I'll let you go where so you want to go I now, think where I would be tempted to put TLC I would be tempted to put TLC through you would be tempted to put this through but the fact that we, we can't really agree I think means that we have to we have to leave both of them a little bit behind I think you're probably right let me just do a couple of comments um, because uh, plenty of people did comment about the TLC uh, and I just want to bring them up uh, Matt Rosser was one of them. He mentioned a few matches. He actually said Rock versus Triple H at SummerSlam has to be a contender. Uh, Hardy Studies, Edge and Christian 2000 is up there. His choice was Brett V. Bulldog, uh, Sheer Class, as he called it. Um, um, there was definitely a few others about TLC. Mick Reeves was someone that, uh, I hope I've pronounced your name right there, Mick, but he, uh, uh, he says the TLC one was a major match. Lee Palmer brings up TLC. Um, there was a few that oh, Andy Keenan was someone that uh, that went to your um, bringing brought up the HBK Razor ladder match, um, and uh, just while I'm doing comments, Gavin Foster was someone else that said Brett v Bulldog. Um, but yeah, I, I tell you where I want to go next. I would like to go to 2002, and I would like okay. to go to what Good I think place is one, to of the, go. one of the greatest matches ever in terms of. Storytelling. Now, sometimes you look at certain matches and say, if you took this match, for example, what's a really great, like, okay, Brett V. Baldo, right? If you went to see your local indie show in Cleethorpes, okay, um, or that's yeah. not local to you anymore, but like in, in, in Selby Leisure Centre, right? If you went to see um, a match there, 
and they wrestled the exact same match as Brett v Bulldog, you'd you'd come out going, bloody hell, that was a good match. What a brilliantly worked, technically, you know, um, adept match that was. If you saw them work the same match as Shawn Michaels versus Triple H from SummerSlam 2002, I think you'd be a bit bored by it. I think you'd suggest it stretched a bit too long. They're a bit self-indulgent, blah, blah, blah. But when you factor in the history of Shawn Michaels, the history of Triple H, the history between them, the four-year gap, the result, which is important, it's not always important, but it's important in this case, the finish and where it came from, everything around that, I think Shawn versus Triple H from 2002, the street fight, the quote-unquote unsanctioned street fight, that's about the only thing I don't like about it, is the stupidity of calling it an unsanctioned match than having it in the middle of your pay-per-view and having one of your refs ref it. Um, <laughs> but, in his gear, but generally speaking, I think this is an absolute masterpiece. I think it's a great example of one of the matches that fits the time, that fits the place. I watched that thinking that Sean had come out of retirement for one match and one match only. It didn't occur to me he would be back for another match. It didn't occur to me he'd be champed by the end of the year. And from interviews I've, I've seen with him, I'm not convinced he did either. I absolutely adore this match and I went back and watched it again. I watched it this afternoon and it's just one of the most wonderfully dramatic matches you'll ever see. Again, great calling from the King and JR. I think this is a peach. I can count on the fingers of one hand. I could probably count on the fingers of one hand if I had at least one finger blown off. But certainly one hand, the amount of times in wrestling history where have I invested genuine, genuine emotion into a match? And I'm not talking excitement because I want my favourite to win. I'm talking, I am enthralled. I am believing everything I see on screen. And it is as real as the air I breathe. Um, this match is one of those matches. Um, funnily enough, another one is... Benoit, Triple H, uh, Shawn Michaels, so two of the same guys involved from uh, WrestleMania 20. But we're not talking about that today. We're talking about this. Absolutely sensational in every single way. Um, a, gr- a great action, stunning action. Obviously, it was very um, weapon heavy. It was very slow, as those um, Michaels-Triple H matches tend to be, because I know they they like to go, you know, they like to lean into the epic nature of them. But this worked, man. Every single time that Triple H went for even a simple backbreaker, I genuinely believed it could be the end of Shawn Michaels' not just his career, but his ability to walk. I believed it. That back injury, they had you believing that the slightest knock would put this guy in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And they just played on every bit of love you had for Shawn Michaels and every bit of hatred you had for Triple H. And you were you were hanging on every shot, every strike, every attack. And they put it, you know, what these guys are a master of, above all else, pacing. How, you know, there's very, very few wrestlers in the history of wrestler that, wrestling that know how to pace a match better than these two. Mm-hmm. And this was perfect. Triple and they... Triple H in particular, you know, the the term ring general is thrown around a lot. But if you put, you know, as Bobby Heenan or whoever used to say in the early 90s, if you find an encyclopedia and you look up the word ring general, Triple H's photo should be should be next to that entry. But do they have photos in the encyclopedias? No, they don't usually. But anyway, um, awesome. just, just 
Maybe they do. Maybe I'm my, reading my too high on Illustrated Encyclopedia had them. Oh, well, there you go. Fair enough. Maybe I'm wrong. But the point is, um, it's just, just every little bit of it. Wrestling is meant to grab you emotionally. Wrestling is meant to make you feel something. And wrestling at its very best makes you absolutely completely emotionally invested in the outcome. And there are so very few matches um, that have done this better in the history of wrestling. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, it was, um, without a shadow of a doubt. And um, to bring up your backbreaker point, I seem to recall, I seem to recall, I'm, I'm saying it like I've remembered something from 18 years ago. I watched it about three o'clock this afternoon. Um, but Sean comes out all guns blazing and Triple H hits a backbreaker, and that's when it turns. You know, it's it's extraordinary. It's um, it's one of the greatest single moves that you've ever seen to turn an atmosphere, to turn the feeling. Because you're right, Sean sells it like how there was a match that Brock had. Mm. I can't remember who it was against. It might have been Cena. It might have been Triple H, where they went to the stomach, and they had Brock selling the stomach. Like oh, that, was, that old, was Cena. That was Cena. Playing off of his old diverticulitis thing. And I thought that was a similar sort of thing of like, I actually watched that. I remember going, is he okay? And it was like, it got me. Do you know what I mean? They sold so well. Brock is an unbelievable seller when he wants to be. And that oh, was yeah. when I watched and went, Jesus, is he all right? And then I realized I'd been had. Um, and so the Sean Triple H thing, absolutely the same there. Uh, you talked about pacing. You talked about two guys being in the match with Benoit. Um, what about these two guys also being in the match with Undertaker in the cell when Sean was the ref yeah. at WrestleMania? That is another match which you could, some would say, plodding. You know, some people that are used to and prefer, because there's nothing wrong with it, cruiserweight matches where it's all all go, all go, might go, bloody hell, it's boring, isn't it? The Hell in the Cell match with Triple H and Undertaker at Mania. I personally love it. Um, it's not necessarily one you'll go back and watch again and again and again because the drama is taken out of it for you, but in terms of the uh, the actual the drama at the time events, this one has both. At the time, it was intriguing. You genuinely, I, I do think a little extra of these sort of things is who's going to win. You know, I know that sounds <laughs> it sounds overly basic when we're talking wrestling, but it does make a difference. At the time, is there a jeopardy about who's going to win? You know, for example, we've talked about WrestleMania before, and we've done Undertaker matches. And you can say Undertaker Orton's a good match and Undertaker Edge is a good match. But was there ever really any jeopardy about Taker winning? Like you knew he was going to win. This one was, you didn't know what was going to happen with Sean. You didn't know if he was going to have any, any more matches. And again, to take your point about there being lots of weapons, it was the right thing to do with the weapons because these two were hated mortal enemies. Of course, they're going to beat the hell out of each other with weapons. If you take Breton uh, Bulldog, for example, they're brothers-in-law trying to prove who's best. So they would wrestle. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't fight each other with hardcore, you know, nonsense, partly because it was 1992, but partly because that wasn't part of their story. It was about who was the right. better res- wrestler. You know, and there's lots of examples of that down the years. I want to prove I'm better, th- better than you at wrestling. And that can still be babyface heel. Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels is a good example of that. I want to beat you at wrestling. Um, but this wasn't that. It was about something different. As you know, Paul, as various people listening and watching will know, I am not a hardcore guy. I don't like watching hardcore matches. I don't particularly enjoy them. But this, in this case, it's necessary. In 2020, I don't like the blood. Um, but at the time, it was a big feature of those sorts of matches. I can't fault it. I think it has to go through, doesn't it? 
it's it's looking extremely likely. Let's put it that way. Um, should we? Um, I want to stay on two thousand and two, just be, just in case you're no, going no, somewhere I was, different. I would, no, I was going to suggest the same thing. Good. I want to stay on two thousand and two. Possibly one of the greatest pay per views of all time. SummerSlam two thousand and two. Uh, unquestionably, I would say the greatest. In my opinion. Up there with WrestleMania 17 and 19 um, as the top three. Yeah, no question. Um, as, you, um, as you know, I would, the best I would always chuck in WrestleMania 21. But yeah, that's not the topic we're doing just now. It's a wonderful, wonderful pay-per-view. That's what this, this match is from. There's other matches on this show that you know we ought to talk about. Whether or not we put them through is another matter. But um, I'll let you hit where you want to go first, but there's at least two other matches on that show that I want to at least talk about. Okay. Um, I want to talk, uh, you'll, you'll obviously agree with me on this one, but I want to talk about what would be the greatest opening match in pay-per-view history if the Hart family didn't exist. <laughs> Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle against Rey Mysterio. I don't Holy know. I think, shit. I think it could be better. I think it could, could be better. Hey, mate, you would not get a big argument from me. It is sensational. Do you know how Conrad Thompson on his his pay-per-views, on his podcast, often says to the listeners, if you want to go and watch one match today, if I could recommend one match you can go and listen to, of all of the SummerSlams that we're talking about, if there's any one match that you should go and watch, because you might have forgotten how good it is, go and watch Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio, the opening match of SummerSlam 2002. It is amazing. They look. I am not a massive, massive Rey Mysterio fan. My issue with Rey Mysterio is he looks too often like he's trying to have a wrestling match than a fight. As in, he looks like he's choreographing a certain set of moves to do a wrestling match, rather than forgetting that what wrestling is meant to look like is one man beating the other man. I, I think seventy-five percent of Rey Mysterio matches, I lose my. I don't lose myself in the match. I go. He can't. He wouldn't really be able to do that. The, the six for eight guy would not really flip over like that for that move. But this match looks like a fight. It looks real. It looks like Kurt is trying to hurt him. It looks like Ray is trying to flip him around. I tell you what else it could go into for the conversation because I think it's quite short. It might be the greatest match that's ever been. That's under ten minutes. Is it really under ten minutes? It's like eight minutes. I'll, I'll look it up while you're doing your next little, you know, reference to anything. I'll look it up. But I think it's like eight or nine minutes. Go ahead and, and, and give me some more waxing lyrical about it while I look it up. Well, obviously, it was it was in the very, very early days of Rey Mysterio being in the WWE. So there'd have been a it's whole... like three weeks. He'd been there like three weeks. Is it three weeks? I knew it was his pay-per-view debut. I didn't realize it was that. Really, so really, whole... really, really quick. There's been a whole bunch of people um, that aren't familiar with him. You know, those that didn't watch him in WCW... Um, would just would just be um, would have no idea uh, that this guy could do what he did. So you can only imagine um, what the impact of that must be like. We all knew. I suspect most people listening to this podcast saw some of him in WCW. So the, we'd have we knew what to expect. But imagine coming in with virgin eyes and seeing Rey Mysterio do his thing on WWE on pay per view with Kurt Angle. You, you know, if, if anybody is able to give someone like Rey Mysterio a fantastic match, oh my God, it's him. What a foil in every single way, both both in both in making as an offer. Kurt Angle's the perfect size for a guy like Rey Mysterio, right? He's big enough to be imposing and to bully him and to look like the bigger, stronger man. 
but he's also small enough to fly around with Ray and make his more athletic stuff look good. Agreed. He's, he's probably he's probably the perfect man to be in the ring with Ray Mysterio um, over anyone I could think of. And um, and oh my god, you say this match was under ten minutes. Imagine if it had been given fifteen. Oh my goodness me. Um, I just I love it. Like Kurt Angle was at his absolute best. This was right at the start of the SmackDown Six era, wasn't it? And um, Kurt Angle was his in ring best around that era. And he wore one of my favourite Kurt Angle outfits with the pinstripes uh, <laughs> on, on this on this occasion. Yeah. So I can't I cannot speak highly enough about this match. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I agree. It's an it's a beauty. It is a beauty, and. It was nine minutes twenty, according to Wikipedia. Not necessarily the most reliable source you've ever seen. Oh no, they're, the, they're pretty good on match times. They're pretty good on the, match times for these sorts of things. They tend to be relatively accurate. So, um, but I don't think that's a hindrance to this. This is a really, really, really great wrestling match. Do you know? Have you ever had that thing where you're watching wrestling and someone comes in the room, whether it's your wife or your mum or a friend or whatever, and they always walk in on a terrible bit, don't they? Those walk in on a really lame backstage skit, or they walk in on a really terrible lumbering match with people that don't sell very yeah. well. And you go, bloody hell. And it's like, you wouldn't mind them walking in on this, would you? You wouldn't mind someone walking no, in the no. and seeing you watching Rake versus Kurt. Because they might just look at the screen and go, God, this is all right, isn't it? I remember being, very, very quick tangent. I remember being at the O2 one year. I'm going to drop something here, but because of who I used to work for. The parent company of who I used to work for used to have a box at the O2. So I used to have use of that sometimes during wrestling shows. And I remember there being a whole bunch of people in this private box that weren't necessarily wrestling fans. It was a bit corporate. I didn't like it, but it was a bit, you know, I had to do it. And I remember a couple of people watching and it was a SmackDown and it was in your Hornswoggle era. So there was a lot of silliness going on. And the, but the crowd that night, 20,000 or wherever it was in the O2 in London, were absolutely eating up the silly Hornswoggle stuff. And then there was a match, who I, and I think it was definitely Chavo Guerrero. I'm trying to remember who he was against. It might have been, no, I don't think it was Finley. It was, it was like Chavo and, and Helms, or it was Chavo and Carlito, or someone, two people of that, it was definitely Chavo, but it was two people of that sort of era. Someone might remember it and, and tell me. But it was a good wrestling match, and it was fun, and it was, it was well worked. And people were going away to get a drink, and they were just wandering around, and they were chatting to each other. And I remember the two lads in front of me who had never really watched wrestling before went this is the first match I've seen all night that looks like a fight and no one cares and it was like wrestling wrestling fans or Smackdown fans in that era had been conditioned for sports entertainment and not realistic wrestling do you know what I mean um, yeah so I actually think this Kurt versus Ray match in certain eras wouldn't necessarily have worked because of how the crowd I think if this had been five years later or ten years earlier you'd actually look at it slightly differently because what the landscape was like. But in this era, coming out of the Attitude Era, but with a whole bunch of workers around, the year two, years 1998 and 99 are great for storytelling and for surprises and for raw. But the year 2000 is the year when matches started to kick in, where you got more and yeah. more really good matches. And by 2002, you're flying because all of those people that were around then are still around and the likes of Ray Mysterio are coming up and Edge is coming up and, you know, Brock Lesnar is coming through and you start to get all these other people that are offering you those matches. 
And I think this match, this match is so of its time. It, of course, would be, be brilliant at any time, but it was perfect in 2002, and it adds to it just that little bit. What more can what more can be said? I mean, it go it has to go through, doesn't it? It has to go. I forget the fact well, that it's short. Look, it has to go through. It's it is going through to our considerations phase. Let's put it that way. I watched two other matches from this pay per view over the last couple of days in consideration for this. Neither of which lived up to my previous expectations. One of them was Edge versus Eddie Guerrero, which was really good, but by no means stand out great. Not two, good enough, no. Two really good wrestlers having a really decent wrestling match. But that was it. And I didn't realise that Brock Lesnar versus The Rock, I didn't think it was all that, all that. It was all right. It was a good passing of the torch. Brock was the right guy to win. It was the right match to have at that time. But when we're talking greatest matches in SmackDown history, in SummerSlam history, and almost by default greatest matches in history, this ain't up there. And I thought it might be, but it ain't. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting point you make. I... I, I'll have to hold my hands up and say I haven't watched this match in some time, but I hold it in quite high esteem. Um, but, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that Lesnar just, just was not an elite worker at this point. He was, he, as a character, as a presence, as a draw, he was already amazing. But as a worker in the ring, he wasn't quite there. He got there, but he wasn't there yet. Um, I'm not going to fight you on it, mate. It was, you know, for me, it was all about the booking, really. You know, the right guy yeah. won, like you said, the right guy won at the right time, and it created a megastar. Um, it maybe, it, and it was, and it was a very good main event. You know, you certainly didn't walk away from the main event going, "Oh, that was a bit crap." I no, saw those great matches. It was a bit crap, but but you also weren't like talking about it being amongst the greatest matches you've ever seen. So I, I'm going to have to go with your judgment, like because I can't, I, I haven't seen it recently enough to argue it. Um, but I, but I, I can totally believe what you're saying. I, I don't think you're talking nonsense. There will be a match. Paul Benson is a Grimsby Town fan, folks, and there will be a match in Grimsby history that you won. Have you won a playoff final or won a, a lower league cup yeah. final or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've won we're all of the above. Right, okay. So I bet if you went back and watched... You won a playoff final to get promoted back into the league, didn't you? Yep. We yeah. beat Forest Green. Well, I reckon if you go and watch that match tomorrow, I mean, I don't know because it might be a great match, but there's a fair chance you'll go back and watch that and go, this is nowhere near as good a game as I, as I thought. Because at the time, you were involved, you were invested, and it doesn't matter how good the game is, you just want your team to win. And this feels a little bit like that. I think that at the time, there was such a groundswell for Lesnar, it was the right thing to do. There is, I am not criticising it one iota. It was the right match for the right time. But I just think, I think in our heads, because we all felt that was important and because it was a good time, we've inflated it. And I probably haven't watched that match for 10 years until today or till yesterday. And I just was, I was left a bit cold by it in terms of watching it as a historical great match up against other great matches. Again, I'm watching it up against a whole bunch of wonderful matches. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I've watched it out sure. of nowhere. And so I recognise that there's other things that I've watched around it. So it's going to you know be it's going to struggle up against some of the unbelievable stuff we've already talked about uh but i just wanted to uh, to mention it because i think it was definitely mentioned by other people uh who was it that uh, that did say i wanted to read this whole tweet out because it was it factors in a few different things that uh, 
we've talked about. Andy Mulligan on Twitter uh, said the Owen Brett Cage match isn't near the level of the others. It's strange how much it gets built up. We talked about that earlier. But he also says for him, it's either Ray versus Angle or Brock versus Rock. The video package for that title match was great, and as, as it may well be. It's interesting how we highlight one that we think people might have forgotten about a wee bit, but I'm doing down one um, that I, don't, I think is a bit overrated. At the same time, as him mentioning Owen Brett, of which I talked about that sort of thing. So it's very interesting how uh, people will pick up on uh, different things about different uh, aspects. Um, while we're at it, doing some comments, uh, Will Kitchen, who's uh, someone we see quite a lot in the... Uh, uh, in the quiz on a Sunday, so hi to Will. Uh, he said that he um, also concurred. Someone else had tweeted earlier and said about Triple H versus HBK. When the basics are done well, add in great timing, selling and psychology, the end result is magic. And I think that's a great point. And I think what he was re- responding to was uh, Daniel Hurley, who's been a long-time supporter of us, comes to a lot of our uh, pay-per-view no, live shows. Uh, Daniel says, uh, Triple H versus HBK 02, for me, by a distance, an absolute masterclass in storytelling. And funny enough, what you just said before, Dan said a backbreaker could have been the finish in that match and it would still have been believable due to the performance of both men. Uh, other comments as, uh, as we go. But I thought that was those were important ones to, uh, to bring up. There's a couple. There's a couple I want to talk about and say how good they were. But also, there's not a lot to say. Funnily enough, they're just great wrestling matches. And they're both in 2000. Well, one's in 2000, one's in 2001. Okay. Uh, one in two thousand, it's Rock Austin Angle, and in two thousand one, it's Austin Angle. Um, I think Austin Angle's the better of the two matches. Very, very, very good match. I loved heel Austin in the ring for that summer, um, and I really think we should be considering them. But when I think about what I want to say about them, I haven't got much. Like they were just really good wrestling matches. I mean, it's, that's the sort of Kurt Angle, similar to how we started this about Bret Hart. If you put Kurt Angle in a match, it's just going to be good, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, Kurt Angle, it's just it's going to be good. Like, whoever's in there. Well, and, then when yeah. stick in, and then you start sticking in Triple H and Rock and Austin or whatever, it's going to be even better. You know, we need to be talking all-time classics for this. And those matches aren't all-time classics. They're really good, really serviceable, very pleasant main events that you come away satisfied from. Do you know what's funny, right? Actually watching SummerSlam 2000, skipping through SummerSlam 2000 earlier on this weekend, or earlier on this week, I'd sort of forgotten. If if we were doing the quiz on Sunday night, and you said to me, "What's what's the main event of SummerSlam 2000? And I had five seconds to answer. I think I'd have said Triple H versus Kurt Angle. The build is so about Triple H and Kurt Angle because of the whole kissing Steph on SmackDown issue. Yeah, I'd forgotten the Rock was in that match. I, well, and I, I realised I just said I just said Steve Austin said a Triple H. My mistake, but I can totally understand. Oh, what well, mean, we know it was. You. We know yeah. you. I don't know. I don't think you did actually. I think I, I thought you said. I that. did. No, I, I definitely definitely did. But you're absolutely right. It was all about the Triple H Steph Kurt thing. I would I completely understand what you're saying on that one. Um, but but do you know what I mean about them being matches that just sit there as excellent matches? Definitely. I've got a couple of others of those for you. Um, and, and I've got two more Kurt Angle matches, actually. That I go on, into go that. on. Uh, it, I, my, the note that I've made next to Rock versus Brock, I put Rock versus Brock, dot, dot, dot. And in brackets, I've put Kurt versus Brock in 2003 is better. Um, it is. It's it a is. better wrestling match. It's not so historically significant because of 
um, the, the, the changing of the guard from Brock to Rock, but it's a great match. Brock taps out, despite Vince yep. trying to help out um, for Lesnar on his, on his heel behalf, but babyface Kurt makes him tap. It's a good match. It's really well told. And Kurt v. Eddie Guerrero, um, which is the kind of response match to the WrestleMania encounter that they'd had, or the triple, was it a triple? No, it wasn't, it wasn't one-on-one, wasn't it, at WrestleMania 20? Um, uh, this is a fo- follow-up to yeah. that in 2000, yeah. follow-up to that in 2004, and they play on, because the finish of WrestleMania 20 was Eddie's boot coming off, wasn't it? That's right. Well, they play on it again at SummerSlam with Kurt deliberately loosening the boot, so it comes off, so when he applies the ankle lock, there's even uh, there's there's less um, resistance. What a great piece of storytelling! What an absolute Fantastic. piece of genius! Whoever came up with that, that could have been Kurt. It could have been Eddie. It could well have been one of a whole host of agents in the back. You might find that that actually, you know, the, the joy of that lies with you know Fit Finley or Jack Lanza or you know who, or whoever, else was, whoever else was agenting at the time. But um, wonderful uh, stuff. Uh, and just one other that I want to bring up in a similar sort of vein, as, it, as in it's in the middle of the card, or it might even have been the first match on the show, but a little bit later on, really nice match between Dolph Ziggler and, and Rey Mysterio. Really good opener. Great fun, great oh, pace. Yeah. Early days of Dolph Ziggler. I don't think it's strong enough to go onto our best ever list like this, but it's a lovely it's match. It's really, really well done. And I'm, I don't have anything to say about it other than it's really good, but it's, I'm just following on from what you just did. Yeah, um, absolutely right. And the other one I'd add to that same group would be Orton versus Christian from 2011. Yeah, actually, I've just looked on my list, actually, and I do have Orton v. Christian on my list and a similar sort of thing. It's really good. Orton versus Christian, we, we probably won't do a most underrated because the term underrated is such a difficult thing to talk about. But Orton, these days, is a very, very annoying phrase, which is low-key. People talk about something being a low-key classic, or this is low-key good or something, and I don't like the phrase. But if you were using that and talking about underrated, Randy Orton versus Christian from around about 2011 is an absolutely brilliant feud. It's amazing. Brilliant stuff. Wonderful stuff. But because Orton doesn't always get, I think, what he's deserving, it's funny about what's going on right now. We're going to watch Orton in potentially a main event or at least in a big match on, on Sunday night. And then once again, he deserves to be there and he's been around for 20 years doing a great job. I still don't feel he always gets what he deserves. Sometimes he's not always motivated to do what's good enough, but when he's motivated and he's on and he's got a good opponent, Randy Orton's as good as there is. Yeah. hundred percent, mate. He's very, he, and he was at his best. I, well, actually, I would say he's doing his best work now. But uh, his previous peak was in this was in this era with Christian, so really great. Not going to make this list. No, probably not. I would like to knock off two or three more matches that I Go think on, are man. good, but good, but not great. No, re- sorry, very good, but not ultra great. Uh, and then that will get us on to um, my last two or three suggestions for for pushing through. And then obviously you will have the same um, format to do so. Um, Two John Cena matches, Cena versus Punk from 2011, Cena versus Brock from 2014. Um, I think are both great. They're, they're, a, bit, they're a bit Cena formulaic, um, but I think they're befitting good, strong, believable, enjoyable matches without being standout all-time greats. I don't know how you stand yeah. on those two. Uh, I don't argue on that. I didn't actually have the 2011 match on my list. I think it's the weakest of their three high-profile matches. Was the other one being money in the bank that year? I agree with you. Raw the following year. Um, totally I agree with I, you. 
Yeah, so I didn't have that on this. Lesnar Cena, uh, again, another great example. Incredible booking. Having Lesnar mow through, it was supposed to be Daniel Bryan, wasn't it? Until he got injured and he was going to slay the big, you know, the fans' favourites in minutes. But, you know, absolutely squashing. And it was a squash. I don't think it was Cena formulaic. It was a squash. No, I meant, sorry. I meant Cena um, formulaic for the punk match. I didn't mean it for the, right. for the Brock one. I, I worded um, it badly. Right, okay. Um, so I thought the booking was incredible. Like, you know, really, after Lesnar won the uh, match against Undertaker at WrestleMania, as if he needed any more cementing. This did it. This absolutely did it. But um, as a match in of itself, it's a step below. It's a really good match, but it's not. Yeah, I, I would, I've, I've got it on my list, but I've crossed it off. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's the birth of Suplex City as well, isn't it? The uh, of. Um... No, that Hayley. was WrestleMania. Was it? Yeah, WrestleMania 31 was the was the uh, first utterance of Suplex City, bitch. Oh, was it? Okay, I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like I thought I thought like it was that one, but uh, maybe it's more like the the, the the idea of Lesnar throwing suplexes all the time, as opposed to the actual the statement itself. Um, James Billington on Twitter, uh, another long term supporter of ours. Uh, main event from 2017: Lesnar versus Strowman versus Reigns versus Samoa Joe. In his words, uh, if you've not seen this match um, since it happened, you're in for an absolute treat. I think we were in the Clapham Grand then, weren't we, for our pay-per-view parties? I seem to remember watching that one on the floor of the Clapham Grand. That's right. We were indeed. I, I'm afraid I can't agree with James on that one. He's not, he and I tend to be, I think, from what you, I see of him on Twitter, he and I seem to be quite in step on a lot of opinions with regards to wrestling, but I'm not, not on this one. Um, I thought it was a fun match, uh, most definitely. Uh, a good mix of personalities and a good main event for for the night. But that's all it was, in my opinion. I don't I don't think there was anything all time classic to it. Do you know what I'll do? I'll be controversially topical or, or topically controversial. Go on then. Go on. Um, the Lesnar, Strowman, Reigns, and Joe match was predicted a D grade, and it got a B. Right, it's not. Okay. Yeah, it's not an A. It's not an A star. <laughs> Sorry, I see what you're doing there. But it was. So, it was. A, you didn't go into that going. This is going to be a cracker, did you? It, but it was so much better than you expected. I seem to remember there was a match from about five or six years ago between Mark Henry and the Big Show that was similar. You know, you, oh, two big guys. This is going to be so boring. And actually, they yeah, beat the shit out right. of each other for five or six minutes. But it was quite enjoyable. This was similar. Yeah. This was four big guys buttering each other. And you thought it was going to be a bit fatal four-way. One goes to the outside, one comes in, one does this. And they didn't. They ripped up the formula and just beat the crap out of one another. But it's not historically significant, and it's not a match you go back and watch again. I actually haven't watched it. Apologies to James. I didn't go back and watch it again. Like he said I might be in for a treat. Maybe I'll watch it in the week, and, uh, and it will turn out that he was right. But uh, for the time being, um, I wanted to mention it because he, uh, he brought it up. And, uh, and I seem to remember enjoying it at the time. Uh, but uh, it's not for it's not for me. Um, very quickly because uh, it was an interesting topic of conversation that that, that came up uh, on the Facebook um, thread. Um, Hogan versus HBK. Uh, <laughs> Francis brought it up. Francis might still be in the room. I know he's been here earlier on already. Uh, oh, Francis is the one that suggested. He, he was one of the ones that suggested it. Um, uh, not for me. It's certainly iconic. It's not even close. Like obviously, obviously, 
we will always remember it for the for the Shawn Michaels performance. And, and you know, it's always an occasion when two performers of the caliber get in a ring one on one for the one and only time. But as a match, Hogan was never going to have a great match. But then Shawn Michaels went in and sabotaged it um, <laughs> for, for reasons best known to himself. So, no, it was a, a great occasion. And as he's just mentioned in the comments, definitely an iconic match. But a good match, absolutely not. We did a thing on the podcast a few years ago um, called the WrestleMania Mixtape, which we may bring back in the future. Um, to do again because I I love doing it and uh, we could we could find another way of re- reworking it. The WrestleMania mixtape was not what's the best match of every WrestleMania, but it's the WrestleMania match which, if you were educating someone from the start and you were saying you're going to watch one match from every WrestleMania to understand wrestling history, this is the one you should watch. If we were doing the SummerSlam mixtape and it got what year was that? Two thousand and five, two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand five. That's pro- I don't have the card in front of me, but if you were to take a match from that SummerSlam to put on your mixtape, it's this one, I think. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's a point in history, it's these two guys meeting, it's what people would talk about in terms of Sean overselling. You know, it's worthy of a conversation. It's not a great match. It defined, yeah, like you were saying, those matches on our WrestleMania mixtape defined the WrestleManias, they weren't the best of the WrestleMania. And and Shawn Michaels HB, uh, sorry, Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan unquestionably defined that event. Uh, but no. No, I don't think so. I'm just going through all of my lists here to see if there's any other matches that uh, that are worthy of bringing up. I've got a couple more which uh, I want to really push for. Here's one, here's the, here's the one that I'm on the bubble on, right? I think it's a great match. It's a really great match, but I'm, I don't think in my heart... Can I- can I just okay. write it down? Can I just write it down and see if um, we're, I, I've got this funny feeling that you're going to say this match. Um, go on. I've written it down. Right. Tell me what okay. that match is. Right. I, I am going to talk about a match which I think is a really, really great match and a match I'm very fond of. is historically significant, but I don't think in my heart of hearts I think it's good enough to really go onto this list. If you, you're gonna, I'm going to say a match and you're going to hold up what you think it was? Okay. I am if I've got it right, otherwise my pen doesn't work. No, no you've got to show us either way. Uh, I'm going to say um, Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins. My spelling's not great, but that is what I said. Oh, you spelled it Taker versus Edge 2008. No, I can't. I don't like that it's close. at all. That's the, that's the hell in the cell, isn't it? The Taker Edge one. Yeah, right. Yeah. I should, I should have that somewhere on my list to mention in passing, on passant, as it were. And oh, poor, Paul Benson has wandered off. It's like right. it's like when it's like when Bobby Heenan goes to knock on the door of the real world on behalf of the real world champion at SummerSlam '91. Oh, he's back. Uh, yeah, I'm back. Think, yeah. Cat issues. That's what it normally is. It's normally cat issues. I think Dizzy is probably about to make his typical appearance. Is Dizzy in the room? He's not yet, but I feel like he's. I, I feel his presence. I feel Dizzy's presence. By the way. Paul's cat, Paul managed to lock his door the other day and then woke up and his cat was in the room, having been locked out. A Sherlock Holmes mystery. You'll have to try and work out how the cat, how did Dizzy do it? Answers on the postcard. Um, no, yeah, I don't really okay. care for that take arrangement. match. I should have mentioned it in passing. Uh, but the one I'm talking about is, is Bala versus Rollins. It's just, it's one of those matches that if you were showing to students who want to become a wrestler, just show them it. It's a great match. Step by step by step, character work timing execution it's an absolute beauty but i don't love it 
Do you know what I mean by that? I hundred percent. I hundred percent know what you um, mean about it. It's very clinically. It's it's objectively a very good wrestling match, but there's very little emotion. Not helped by the result being rendered meaningless. Do you know? Do you know what it is? Right. Do you know what it is? Well, it's well. Mandy Rose. It's the Mandy Rose of wrestling matches. <laughs> if you look at Mandy Rose, I'm not. Oh this is not. I'm Lord. not being. I'm not being laddish. Everybody, right? We all do this. Male, female. Um, you know, doesn't matter. Straight or gay. Male, female. We all do this. We look at someone that uh, we may or may not be um, attracted to, and we judge them. Mandy Rose is essentially perfect. But there's something about her that I don't find particularly sexy. And I think that this matches the Mandy Rose like that. I would have someone that doesn't look quite as perfect, but has got a character every single day over someone that is like completely conventionally beautiful, but has got nothing behind the eyes. She might be lovely, Mandy Rose. I have no idea what she's like as a person. I'm being incredibly judgmental. Um, but that's what this match is. I can't fault it, but I don't love it. I completely share your opinion. Thank you. That's, that's nice, isn't it? I like it when Paul yeah. does that. No, there's just, just 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 agrees. Agrees. Move on. Um, yeah. Did you want Did you want to mention Taker versus Edge? We ought to really. Um, let's mention it. I think I think of it a lot more highly than you do. Um, but I suppose I could echo what we just said about Bala Rollins. Like it's a good Hell in a Cell match, but. I'm not. I'm, there's just nothing about it that sticks in the memory long term for me. So um, I just I'm, not, never, I'm not campaigning to keep it going. I just don't think I ever bought Edge's been on Taker's level. I think that's my issue with that. I totally agree. It was the same with the WrestleMania main event. Like Edge was a phenomenal heel. Phenomenal. Love Edge. Um, great sleazy character. Really deserved to be where he was. Um, but he was never he, he was never going to be the Undertaker. You put him in a one-on-one match with the Undertaker of that magnitude, and Undertaker should wipe the floor with a character like that. He's a sleazy, you know, heel that should be you know should be shown up as the coward that he is. But for some reason, for a short period of time, they decided Edge was a John Cena type, you know, of, of that level, and he just I just never bought it. So subsequently, I, I wasn't a big fan of that whole Taker Edge feud at all for that very reason. No, I wasn't either. I never really got it. I'm not saying it would have been the right thing to do, but there's an argument to say that if you were going to have someone break the streak, it would be an edge to elevate them as opposed to a Brock that was already there. I don't think I would have done it. I'm not. It wasn't the right time to do it. No. You had so much more to, to invest in the streak. But if Undertaker was absolutely dead set that time of, uh, of retiring, that could have been the person you went to. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally do. I, I don't I, agree, but I can see where your point is. I, I don't agree. I don't agree with me either. If you see, if you see what I'm saying, but it, it, I would have preferred it to have been Edge rather than Brock. Uh, right. I've got three matches left that I want to discuss, and all of two of which I'm very confident I want to put through. Um, uh, and there's uh, one, one other, two, one other that's in I've discussion. Got... I've got five, probably oh, four okay. serious and one, probably four serious and one a slight level below. Okay, let's 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 have at least one of yours then to get us down to uh, to level pegging. Okay, um, let's go to 2013, and I flip a coin. Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk. Okay, well, I know which one you flipped a coin from, and both of those are on my three that remain. Um, 
I watched both of those matches today. Um, yep. I remember on the night, we were in Belushi's, I think, then, for our Hooked On party we in London, anyway. Well, yep, our first um, SummerSlam. First SummerSlam party. And I remember watching um, CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. And someone, I forget who it was, someone in the bar turned to me and said, that is one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. And I said to them, stay tuned, because it might not be the rest, best wrestling match you see tonight. Yeah. So strong was that card. Anyway, today I, I watched CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar and I watched John Cena versus Daniel Bryan. Today, I preferred CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. Okay. What say you? Uh, can't pick between them. Two very, very different matches, two excellent matches, but sticking with Lesnar Punk, I absolutely adored everything about this. I love the build. I love the story that went into it. I love the character. I love the juxtaposition of the characters. I love the juxtaposition of the two styles of wrestling. I just thought, and, and let's remember, you know, this was Punk's first match as a babyface since he dropped the title. Um, it was certainly his first pay-per-view match, if not his first match. Uh, and how much did we want to cheer CM Punk as a wrestling fan base as a whole? How much did we want to get behind that guy? Um, and the right man won. Okay, Brock Lesnar won, and that was the right call. It was the right booking. But this was just, and you know, you said earlier in the podcast about how good Brock Lesnar is at selling. Watch this match. Yeah, there's yeah. Um, um, he, he he probably that was I would off the top of my head his best ever sell job. Could be just unbelievably good. Lesnar was always going to win this, but you did not realise that. You probably watched it today thinking CM Punk was going to win. <laughs> and um, and there was so, it was so, 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 so well done by two guys who have the very same ethos on wrestling. Obviously, uh, very much in that Paul Heyman school um, of booking. I'm sure he had a massive hand in how this was put together. Uh, just, just absolutely sensational in every single way. Yeah, if, if I had any flaws in it, it would be what happened afterwards. I don't think they played up enough of how, in storyline terms, Punk deserved to win. Brock Lesnar had to use his manager and some iffy tactics to beat CM yeah. Punk. They didn't play that yeah. up enough, um, I don't believe. And I don't, I don't ever remember... If they did a follow-up match, I don't remember it. Um, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do enough, I don't think, coming out of this. Um, they could have what they did with just recently with Rollins, you know, getting beaten up by Lesnar, but eventually beating him. And they could yeah. have done it with Punk. They could have done it with Punk here, um, very effectively. He needed to lose a couple of times before doing so, but um, they could have done that. But this match is beautiful. Your selling point, <laughs> your, your unique selling point, but your selling your point about Brock selling. Um, if you were to st- again take a non-wrestling fan and get them to look at CM Punk standing next to Brock Lesnar and you would you would see that there's no comparison why would Lesnar not absolutely wipe the floor with this little skinny guy but in the course of that 25 minutes Brock Le- Lesnar makes you believe that CM Punk can beat him. CM Punk makes yeah. you believe that he could beat Brock Lesnar, but more importantly, Lesnar makes you believe that Punk could beat him. And yeah. that's the important thing in that match. And, and if Lesnar doesn't want to think that way, people often say about that about Andre, don't they? 
if Andre didn't want to do yeah, business, yeah, if Andre didn't want to lose to Hogan, if Andre didn't want to get body slammed by Hogan, then Andre wouldn't have done. Which I think is a bit of a slight to the professionalism of Andre the Giant. But the, the same applies to Lesnar. If Lesnar doesn't want you to look strong, you, you're knackered. You're not going to you're not going to change his mind physically. Um, he clearly had a lot of time for for Phil Brooks, the man, um, as well as CM Punk, the performer. I I would imagine. I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine. Um, and I just I love the match to pieces. I think it's better than I remembered. Again, going back to my point about. Uh, me not liking quote unquote hardcore matches, no holds barred matches, whatever the specific term was for this. It certainly was a, a like a no DQ style match. Um, but they used it well, they played it well. And it was as much Heyman getting involved and not getting disqualified as it was hitting each other with chairs and stuff and not getting disqualified. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it then. And I loved it even more today. I want it to go through. This morning, I would have said to you, I remember liking the CM, uh, sorry, the John Cena Brian match almost just as much. Today, I think as a match, it doesn't hold up as well. But I think it's because it goes back to my point about wanting Brock to win, about wanting Grimsby Town to win. Yeah, we we wanted Daniel Bryan to win, and you supported Daniel Bryan in the whole run of the beard and the yes stuff, and everything was about Daniel Bryan winning. Forget Randy Orton cashing in afterwards. Forget Triple H and his betrayal. Watch it up to the point where Daniel Bryan wins, and it is the great story of Daniel Bryan winning the title. But once you know he's won, it takes that little bit away from it watching it the second time. That is not the fault of the match. That is the way that history works. And so if we're talking about grading these on how you view it now and how you can watch these matches again and again and again and again... I think Lesnar Punk is the better match to watch a second time knowing the result than Cena versus Daniel Bryan. But by the way, Cena versus Daniel Bryan is an outstanding wrestling match. Outstanding. Um, and there's, there's certainly, you know, when we come to do the final reckoning on this, there will be an argument made for having two matches out of five from the same pay-per-view. Yeah. It was a wonderful, wonderful match. In fact, you know, just looking at my list of what I've got left, I've got four matches left, mate, and they are all... John Cena matches. I tell you what I'll do then is that I'll do. You, we can talk a bit more about Cena Brian just now, but I'll send that when we do the next match. I'll do the next match to get the my last one off the list, and then whatever's okay. left is is yours. But for yeah, now, yeah, sure. any, anything more on Brian and Cena? It was just an amazing wrestling match. It was another another example of face versus stage, which looking back in history seems to be quite a thing at SummerSlam. By the way. Um, and it was it was Brian's coming out party in the main event. John, when you talk about Brock Lesnar making people look good, when John Cena wanted someone to look the business, he had no qualms about laying down and being squarely beaten. And he absolutely, clearly wanted to do the business for Daniel Bryan on this occasion. The beauty of John Cena as a worker is he is everything that people don't want him to be. He is WWE style through and through, but he knows exactly how to do that to elicit the absolute reaction um, from the crowd. And he played that effective de facto heel in this match, even though he wasn't remotely a heel in character. He was the audience's heel. And, oh, my God, he, he, he just toes that line just so impeccably well. And to have that, Brian, to have Daniel Bryan as a foil for that could not have been better. I just thought it was 
just a tremendous match and made better, made better by the fact that Daniel Bryan got to the top of the mountain and had it taken away <laughs> from him, snatched away cruelly. And then, honestly, you know, it might, you know, obviously as an audience member in the moment, it's slightly disappointing. But in terms of long-term storytelling, it is the right move. Yeah, it's totally. the right move. Don't, it was exactly the right thing to do. do and, and to be fair, we'd also, we've all seen it coming. You know, I remember back then, we all knew that Randy Orton was walking out of that pay-per-view as, as champion with his, with his briefcase. I didn't, I don't think we all necessarily saw the Triple H turn coming. Maybe we did. I can't remember. Um, but we all knew Orton was, Orton was walking out of that briefcase one way or the other. Doesn't matter. Incredible match. Definitely in the final shake-up. Okay. One of the reasons that I'm ever so slightly down on it compared to other things is twofold. One, if we're talking about two matches on the same night, I think the Punk-Lesnar one is better. And two, if we're talking about two matches of a very, very similar ilk, i.e. Scene of the establishment babyface versus, I hate saying the indie darling because that's a bollocks phrase, but against the person more respected for their in-ring work, I think 2016's John Cena versus AJ Styles is better than AJ is better than John Cena versus Daniel Bryan. That's that is why I feel like I'm more down on Cena Bryan than I ought to be. It might be. The, the best match ever on SummerSlam is AJ Cena, and the second best match on SummerSlam ever is Brock Punk, and the third best match ever is Cena versus Brian. Do you know what I mean? It might, be, <laughs> yeah. it might be the third match ever, but if it's the third match ever, Brock and Punk and AJ Cena, I think, are better. Having watched the three of them quite close together, I like AJ Styles versus John Cena better than I like Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. I think AJ Styles gels better with John Cena. I think they're a better mix. I think they're a better combo. I actually think if this was a, had me up against the wall and say, you could only watch one of these, one of these people wrestle for the rest of your life, AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, I would watch AJ Styles. And I think that might influence my decision, but listen, I love Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's amazing, but I love many, many would agree with you. You know, I may, what can I say? I can't really say much about this match other than it was so, so good for all the reasons you've just said. My only minor criticism of it, and this is so unbelievably minor, but this is what would probably put Brian Cena ahead for me, is that it wasn't quite, um, didn't quite have the stakes, didn't quite have that emotional heft that Brian against Cena had. That's true. And that's, and that's, you know, that is that is important to me. Like, you know, for, in fact, probably the most important element of any match. Doesn't It does not um, it does not cover for bad wrestling, but it goes an awful way to making a good moment out of even a bad match. And if you're talking about two spectacularly good matches, it does give the other one the edge for me. That's um, a good point. But I could totally understand why you might, you know, they are on a knife edge. We're talking extremely close. Two, two, two five-star matches. Seven stars if Dave Meltzer was rating them and they were in Tokyo. Um, but they, um, but they're, they're so close. I give, I give the, the 2013 match the, the thinnest of edges. I was just about to call you a Bruce Pritchard fanboy for repeating one of his podcast things. And then I realised I'm wearing my something to wrestle with. <laughs> um, so I can't really, I don't really have anything to say, do I? Right. I'm done, I think. I don't think there's anything else okay. on my list. Uh, over to you to uh, to kind of wrap it up, as it were. 
I've got two more, and I don't think either of them are going to stand up to the level of the others, but I want to mention them nonetheless, more to highlight just how excellent. You know, we talked about earlier, very briefly, said who's Mr. Mr. SummerSlam. The first half of SummerSlam, the first, you know, how many SummerSlams are we in now? We're 30 years, 31 years? We're so it, was eight, 30 it, was 80, it was 88, wasn't it? Yeah, so about 30, 31 SummerSlams. Bret Hart was Mr. SummerSlam for those first for that first yeah. half. John Cena was Mr. SummerSlam for that second half. Yeah. Um, the two matches I want to throw in the mix. 2015, Seth Rollins against John Cena. Stunningly good match again. The the match that was for the US Championship and the... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The title the for title. WWE Championship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ruined... Finally, by the random John Stewart heel turn. Yes, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't, that's, the end of the match. that's why that's not. That's why that's not on my list. That's the John yeah, Stewart. Yeah, that's that's why it doesn't get right to the tippy top for me either. And the other one that was excellent. And if you haven't watched this in the uh, in your little research, mate, please go back and the same for everybody else. If you don't, if you if you don't know this match, go back and watch it. John Cena against Batista from two thousand and eight. I did actually skip. I skimmed over that. I do. I know. I know. I know the one you mean. And I, I, it you know, was Joe. You know one of the reasons why I didn't write that down, and I should have done. Go on. I have a little bit of a tendency to think if they've had a better match at another time, it sort of almost goes out of my brain a bit, which is wrong because if we were doing, like I said before, if we were doing Survivor Series, that would mean I would get rid of Brett Austin, which is ridiculous because clearly that would yeah, be yeah. a Survivor Series discussion. Um. But I, when if you say to me, name a great John Cena Batista match, I go to WrestleMania twenty six. This I is way better. You think? Okay. As as a match, way better. The build to the WrestleMania one was infinitely better. You know, heel Batista in that area. That's one of the most fun builds of a match I can remember. As a match, this one blows it out of the water. In okay, my I'll opinion, give that a watch. it's um, it's fourteen minutes or so. I would say the, the things I picked up on this match that really interests me, it, first of all, it's non-stop. It was very similar to the Batista Undertaker match from WrestleMania 22, 22, 23, where it just, it just did not oh. stop. Just const, constant action all the way through. And also, again, it doesn't necessarily speak for the quality, but they just didn't really leave the ring at all. They were just, you know, they really treat it as a wrestling match. It was, um, it was fantastic. Again, it doesn't it doesn't genuinely make the list, mate. I'm I'm not fighting ahead of some of these matches, but I just want people to go out and watch it because it is way better than like you you said you've skimmed over it. Don't it's great. Okay, fair news. I will um, I will go back and take a look at that. If we were doing Mister SummerSlam, as you just said before, there, um, I think the absolute undisputed top three in whatever order would be Brett, Cena and Lesnar, wouldn't it? By going through these matches, by, by seeing the, the standards. Yes. You know, because Brock features yes. here again and again and again. Cena features again and again and again. There's a few people. Maybe Kurt Angle could be four, Triple H five maybe. But there's, um, you know, that's a, a moot point because we're not doing that discussion. But it does, it's interesting. What you think about at the top of your head is sometimes different different to what you think about having done a, a bit of research. Okay, I'm, I'm trusting that you've been writing matches down as you go. I think yes. I've got it down to six in my mind. We'll see how we uh, we tally up. I think I've got it to eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. I think eight. 
right? So chronologically, mate, chronologically, okay. yeah. I've I've got um, Bret Hart, Mister Perfect, yeah. Bret Hart, Bulldog, yeah. HBK Razor, yeah. Uh, skipping forward quite a number of years, Angle against Ray, yeah. Trip, Triple H against Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Then another big leap forward to Lesnar Punk, Brian Cena, and Styles Cena. Yeah, okay. they're my, they're fair. the eight. I actually had nine on a on a short list, including TLC, which I obviously we, we discussed and knocked off. Those are the eight of the nine that I had on my. This is before we even started tonight, um, and I think I can. I think I can get. I can. I I know the two that I would remove. Um, to get me down to six. Hmm. In fact, I think I know the. Th- I think I know the three actually, but we'll see how we go. Well, all right, well, I think we're going to have to go unanimous on this one, aren't we? If one of us says nay, let's go through them one by one. If anyone says nay to either of them, then well, they no, let's go get off rid- the list. Let's get rid of one each because if we don't double, if we don't both agree, whichever one oh, yeah. we both, whichever one we both think is the bottom one, goes. True. Okay. Go on then. You go first. Uh, I'm going to get rid of Brett versus Perfect. I I love it. To- <sighs> I love it to death. I absolutely love it to death, right? But just in terms of what you said before about the stakes, this is only the IC, it's not the world title, right? It's also a little bit shorter than others. And put simply, I'm not saying we only have to have one match with everybody because that's not, that's not the rules. But I think Bulldog versus Brett is better. And I'm just working off the basis of that you're giving me to me, Brett versus perfect couldn't win. If you were trying to get me to decide on what my number one is, I don't know my number one hand on heart, but I know it couldn't be Brett versus perfect because I think Bulldog is better. So I'm going to remove Brett versus perfect out of that list. I admire your logic. I think I might've had that, but I'm not, I can't say hand on heart. I definitely would. So I'm not too upset. By, by the way, guys, I adore that match. It's one of my favourite matches of all okay. time. But I, 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 at, at this stage, at this stage, I don't think we need to say that. I think we um, we're at the point where every single match that we take out now, we adore. These are all unbelievably all-time good matches. But we've got to take it down, and we're not going to have six this week. We're going to have five. <laughs> um, I am going to take out. So the, what we got left? Seven. I'm going to take out uh, Shawn Michaels against Razor Ramon. Agreed. That would be the next you one may I would have done take. too. That's the next one I would take out. Mm. And I actually, so and I, actually we... I actually think there's a little chat about all of, all of the ladder matches that we've talked about. That one, RVD, Hardy, Triple H, Rock, TLC, Punk, Hardy. They're all really, really, really good. But it's hard for a ladder match to be absolutely right at the very top purely because of the first one at WrestleMania 10. And, mm. and not only does that happen to be the first ladder match, it happens to be the same two fellas. So um, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Okay. So, so that leaves with six. Now I think there's a few that we can absolutely uh, agree on. I, I've okay. got four that I would be, I would have four that I would definitely want through. Right. Go on. Let's hear them. I would want Brett Bulldog through. That's through. I would want Sean versus Triple H through. That's through. I would want Brock versus Punk through. That is through. And I would want AJ versus John Cena through. I'm with you. Okay, they would be my four 
with the two remaining being Angle versus Ray and Cena versus Brian. I would probably side with Kurt Angle versus Ray Mysterio, but I do take on board what you said before about the stakes involved, about the significance of it at the time, and the fact that that's a main event, and the main event of a very good card. Angle versus Ray is a great match, but it could have happened at any point, and it wasn't of any significance. I would go Angle versus Ray. If you agree with me, we'll put Angle versus Ray through. But if you disagree with me, I'll go with you, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. So it's basically my choice. It is your choice, yeah. Because we're either we were either two mm. we were either two nil or one one. But I yeah I am so so close between the two of them, and I'm so close between the four of them actually. Because you know if if you had said to me, "F off, Rob, I'm the head of Hooked on Wrestling." Brett versus Perfect goes through. I'm not sure I'd fight you massively. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's one of the greatest matches of all time. But I happen to think that these six that we've come down to are better. Um, isn't it funny that whichever one we choose inside. whichever one we choose one SummerSlam is going to get two matches either 2002 oh, yeah. or 2013 that's true um, I don't know I think I think oh, I think we probably ought to go with Cena Brian and it's not my personal choice but I think we probably ought to go with it because I think more people would vote for it I think more people would understand it as a main event. And I feel like it would have five matches that are... Right enough, AJ Cena's got nothing on it, is it, other than being a great match. I just happen to think it's a wonderful wrestling match. Oh, man I, alive, this is hard. I'm leaning the same way. I'm leaning the exact same way. Um, so let's do that. Let's go Brian against Cena, which leaves the final five of Bret Hart, Bulldog, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Oh, Kurt Les- Angle doesn't Les- make the list. Lesnar Punk, Brian Cena, and Style Cena. That is one hell of a five. Kurt Angle doesn't make this list. Kurt Hennig doesn't make this list. Scott Hall doesn't make this list for the great matches that they've had. This has been the most fun podcast to research, to go through, to come up with. I there are going to be people that are going to say. How come you didn't include this match? And we're going to go, legitimately, we had it at about 17. <laughs> we're looking for a yep. top five. It is incredible, the, the, the standard of this. God bless SummerSlam and all who have sailed within this wonderful vessel. Um, I've had a, the best couple of days watching these matches. And we've had would... three or four suggestions tonight that I'm going to go away and watch either after this or tomorrow. What would be fun one time is putting together our top 10 SummerSlam matches and our top 10 WrestleMania matches and seeing which one was the most impressive list. I think, I think, oh my God, WrestleMania would have to go some to beat the top 10 here. I think that's something we do in WrestleMania week. I think we hold that idea back and when we go mad on WrestleMania week on the website, we, uh, uh, we go for that. Uh, right, we have our five. Before we go through those yep. five once again, a few little details, folks. Uh, on Sunday, it is SummerSlam night. Join us at 8 p.m. on hookedonwrestling.co.uk's YouTube and Facebook channels. Is that correct, Paul? That's correct. YouTube and Facebook, where we will have uh, four hours worth of build-up to SummerSlam. Looking back on, particularly on SummerSlam 92, we're talking to the wife and two children, the British Bulldog, about that match. We're having a watch-along. We're talking to the promoter of the event, 
we're talking to the chairman or president um, of the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club for whom we're raising money for the club, that is, uh, and all sorts of other fun shenanigans beside, including the famous Hooked On Wrestling quiz. That is coming up this Sunday. We're going to have an unbelievable night. Please, please join us. Go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash SummerSlam. Secondly, and this is a brief plug, but uh, Paul will tell me the exact date. I think it is a week on Monday, but I don't know the date off the top of my head. We're doing a Nitro week on the site. We're turning the website into a uh, a WCW website for the week. We will be doing other news and other stuff, but we're particularly having to focus on Nitro uh, as it is the 25th anniversary, correct? 25th on the 4th of September, which is the Friday of the week. Yeah, it's going to be all, you know, obviously like Rob says, news will be as is. But all the features we do, all the podcasts, all going to be Nitro themed. We've got a fun stack of interviews lined up um, that we'll be pumping out there. Summer's videos, summer's written interviews um, with some interesting names. So um, just keep an eye out for that. We did Undertaker weekend not so long ago. This is the next of our theme weekends. And um, we think there's going to be we think there's going to be a lot of fun to be had. Yeah, so that's coming up very soon as well. So we want you to check those out. Hookedonwrestling.co.uk uh, for all more information. Hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote is where you'll vote uh, after about midday on Wednesday, roughly speaking, for your winners of tonight's poll. So the we are five that we have landed on. Paul are five to give it completely accurate. Uh, information 1992 Brett the Hitman Hart against the British Bulldog from 2002 Shawn Michaels against Triple H from 2013 Brock Lesnar against CM Punk also from 2013 Daniel Bryan against John Cena and then a final match from 2016 AJ Styles against John Cena Decide on which you think is list. the best. That is an unbelievable thing. If we've got it badly wrong, tell us as well. Send us in uh, in 7,000 words or less why you think Bret Hart versus Kurt Hennig should have made the list or various different others. We left out TLC. We left out Ray versus Angle. We left off all sorts of wonderful, wonderful wrestling matches. It's the way it goes. It's the nature of the podcast. Please go and vote for your favourite. To find out the results, you'll need to tune into next week's podcast. And to find out what the theme is for next week's podcast, you'll need to tune in on Sunday night because we give in we give the uh, the topic from the following podcast on our Sunday night quiz. So much else going on on Sunday as well. Uh, Paul, any final words before we wrap up tonight? Uh, no, nothing in particular. Just again, just please, please, please spread the word about SummerSlam. Um, go if you can, if you can possibly, even if it's a pound, donate to our Cauliflower Alley Club Fund. Um, you uh, you know, these guys have given so much to us over the years in terms of blood, sweat, tears, time away from their families. They need us now. Um, let's give back to them. Let's raise a thousand pounds before that opening bell of SummerSlam. Go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash SummerSlam. The link's on there. Um, please get, you know, I know a few people listening to this have already donated, which is absolutely fantastic. Please follow their lead. Um, and, and we'll see as many of you as we can on SummerSlam, uh, on SummerSlam night. We can't wait. Thank you to everyone that's joined us live tonight and joined in via the chat. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you to wherever you are watching this, downloading this on a later date. We will see you all on Sunday. And whether it's now thinking about 23, uh, 33 years worth of Summer Slams or whether it's on Sunday watching live, there's one thing you need to remember. This is wrestling. Enjoy it. See you Sunday, folks. <laughs>